0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: There we go.
2: It is Tuesday, May 21st, and live from the Chicago Sun Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, hosts of Humanity in the Headlines, Atiba Buchanan and David Seaton will join us. We welcome Stephanie Zimmerman of the Chicago Sun-Times, and making his Ben Jarofsky show debut, host of the Fight Podcast. Ben, please do not get in a fight with our guest. No, Don't worry about that. Sergio Vicente. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody.
3: Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this... We shall see Tuesday, and here's why. Great weekend, man. I had a great... You have a good weekend, D? Yeah. (laughs) Two days ago, that was great. <laughs> That's why I was laughing. I was preparing for that exchange. Oh, oh, I knew it already. I was going to say, oh, "Get out of business." That weekend's long gone. It's Tuesday. I'm going to just say a couple things. Good thing, good news and bad news about the weekend. The good news is I watched Wayne's World. Saw it again after 20 years or whatever. Bad news. It's not that good. No. <laughs> Sorry, Wayne and uh, Garth or whatever. The not. second
2: one's real good.
3: All right, I'm going to watch the second. second one. I have it on my queue. I put it back on my queue. I'm the only person in America who still watches movies to those little discs that Netflix sends in the mail. Trying to relive the days where you could go get to video stores. D, I'm going back in time, all right? Anyway, then I woke up and I got down to business. Yes, indeed. I went to Lori's inauguration, all right? Yeah, I went there. Now, there are two reasons I went, D. Number one. I wanted to make sure that a certain mayor, a Mayor Rahm, really was leaving office, okay? I had my doubts. I thought it was going to be like that character. You ever seen Dangerous Liaison where the lady, uh, the crazy lady, I think it was Glenn Close played the crazy lady he was chasing Michael Douglas, who deserved it because he was kind of you know selfish. Anyway, don't want to give away the whole plot. But at the very end, he thinks she's dead and she's in the bathtub, but she comes out of the bathtub. I thought Rahm would be like that. He'd come out of the bathtub. I'm not leaving. I'm sticking around. Good news, folks. He left. Lori life was sworn in, and no more ROM as mayor of the city of Chicago. That weeping sound, Tom Mack, me, my good friend of the Sun Times, I like him. Anyway, Tom and I didn't see eye to eye in the uh, ROM rain. The other reason, the other reason I. Um went to uh, the inauguration because Maya made me. Maya yeah. Dumaxima, <laughs> du- my partner in crime at the Chicago Reader, uh, She uh, was, uh, she was very insistent that I go, and I know what you're thinking, folks. You're thinking, but Ben, why wouldn't you go? But Ben, you're utterly obsessed with Chicago politics. You live, eat, and breathe the stuff. At this point, you are the one of the only 10 people in the city of Chicago who can recite for member, memory every single member of the Chicago City Council. In fact, you. you saw this Joanna Klotzka was in the studio the other day. Remember that?
2: Oh, yeah. After the show when you guys were trying to list all the aldermen. Like, okay, nerds. <laughs> Friday can we go home please <laughs> Oh what about Alder Oh what about Ward 33
3: uh, <laughs> What we were doing was going through uh every single ward alderman by alderman to see who the, who we thought would vote uh with Lori Lightfoot in the council reorganization number 1 uh, first ward Daniel Espada number 2 Brian I love Tiff Hopkins number 3 Pat Quinn etc cetera, etc cetera.
2: As we're trying to go home on Friday All right let's
3: wrap it up <laughs> Dennis, is like I got an active social life I got to get home all right <laughs> nope. Number four, Sophia King. Number five, Leslie Harris. Anyway.
2: Huge dorks, guys.
3: <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I love Chicago politics, and the uh, inauguration of a new mayor is a great day for a Chicago political geek, so of course I'm going to show up. But on the other hand, good God, I was at an early hour. Why couldn't she have the inauguration like 2 in the afternoon, a convenient hour for a guy like me, huh, D? I'm like, man, I got those rock star hours. I'm up late. I get up. By the way, there was an article in the Tribune. I don't know if you saw this, D. You want to know if you're smart?
2: Oh, you see that listener's (laughs) newspaper. Or see that newspaper One
3: One of the signs of being smart, according to this article in the Tribune, you don't get up early. All right, huh? I'm a genius. You don't get up early that's the only qualification. Anyway, conversation went a little like this. Maya told me, Ben, meet me at 930 at 22nd and Michigan. Me, uh, that's so early. Maya, Ben, okay, I'll go. Anyway, folks. I'm really glad I went. I thought it was a great speech. We'll be talking about it all day today, uh, what Lori Lightfoot had to say. I was very entertaining, if nothing else. Uh, They put me in press road. I I saw all the greats, all the legendary. Fran Spielman was there. Your good friend Mike Flannery was there. Oh, hey. (laughs) Marianne Ahern was there. Anyway, guess who else was there? My old poker-playing friend from Chicago Cranes Business. Greg, you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them. Hines, all right? Now here's something you should know about Greg Hines and me. We have an essential disagreement on a certain program called TIFFs. All right. I oppose the way TIFs are allocated in the city of Chicago. I think it's unfair that so much of our property tax dollars goes to wealthy neighborhoods that don't really need the assistance. And uh, it leaves out uh, areas for which the program was intended that are getting shortchanged. Greg has a different point of view as a political reporter for the leading business publication in the city of Chicago. He's more like, I love the TIF program. More money for rich people. Anyway, uh, something you should know: D the inauguration was held at the Wintrust Arena in the South Loop, otherwise known as the DePaul Basketball Arena. Uh, The the arena was intentional; it was supposed to be built with TIF dollars. It's complicated what happened, but TIF dollars were earmarked for that project originally. I opposed that deal. I pretty much oppose any. Downtown Tiff deal. Greg Hines, on the other hand, supported that deal. Greg pretty much supports every downtown Tiff deals when it comes to downtown Tiff deals. Uh, Greg is a little like that Robert Duvall character in Apocalypse Now. I love the smell of tiffs in the morning. You ever see that movie? D. Anyway, so <laughs> so we're sitting there, and Greg comes right up to me. And starts trash talking me because he always wins when it comes to TIFF battles. You know, I'm like, don't approve this city council. Greg's like, approve this city council, and the city council approves it. Okay, so you know, it's sort of like rooting for the Golden State Warriors. You're, it's not hard to be a winner when you go with the most powerful force. Sounds like Greg Hines is like your arch enemy. I love Greg Hines. We used to play poker together. I didn't tell you that? <laughs> yeah. Way back when in the 80s? You never told me. Oh, he was a hell of a poker player. Uh, anyway, so he comes up to me. and he goes, hey, Ben, isn't this ironic that uh, they're having the inauguration here? And I go, yeah, I know. Hey, Ben, didn't? isn't it true that you were against the TIFF deal? Yeah, yeah. Don't you think that's ironic? He was a little like the Newman character in Seinfeld. Newman. You know? <laughs> Anyway, Greg, so I told him look it's a new day. It's a new age. We have a reform mayor, Greg. All right, Lori Lightfoot, no more TIF deals for well-connected developers and upscale gentrifying neighborhoods that don't need the money to begin with. You watch it's a new day and Greg just like hey, We shall see. For once, there's something that Greg Hines and I agree in when it comes to TIFs, we shall see. You got a great show today, everybody. At T. Buchanan, we'll be here with David Seaton, the co-host of Humanity in the Headlines. We'll be talking Lori's inauguration. We'll be talking Trump. We'll be talking the Democratic candidates for president. A lot of political talk with them. Stephanie Zimmerman will be here at about 2 o'clock. Man, did she write a real kick-ass investigative story in the the Sunday Tribune. Uh, excuse me, Sun-Times. There it is. Sunday sometimes. It's all about uh, how much you pay more for ins- car insurance if you're a renter if you're a woman, uh, if you don't have a professional job. She breaks it down. Great investigation. You want to know? Look at your pocketbooks, folks. Pay more than you have to. Stephanie Zimmerman will explain it all. And then, two, uh, three, I, I cannot wait. Sergio Vicente, a mixed martial arts fighter and the host of the Fight Podcast, coming in and talk politics, politics, politics. And... Um, what was the former may the governor of uh, Jesse Ventura? He's got a little Jesse Ventura in him. It's a conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> Love Jesse Ventura. Yeah. Well, he's, he's sir, meet Minnesota. Sergio. <laughs> meet Sergio. He's got a little. Uh, he's very political and uh, golf of Tonkin. Yeah, you can. <laughs> that's that. That sort of sounds like your other. What's that other dude? Alex Jones. Yeah, it's your Alex Jones. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen,
2: we on the Yeah, That's Alex Jones. Oh, okay. That's your turn. Golf of Tonkin. Uh, I guess a
3: conspiracy. Yeah, I can, get. There's a bit of a distinction there. Anyway, pl- <laughs> plenty of political talk, local talk, national talk, all kinds of political talk. Uh, and uh, But before we do any of that, the doctor has the news. Hey,
2: everybody. I'm Dennis. How's it going? Not a doctor. Hold on. I got an email I got to respond to. <laughs> Yep. Okay, Greg Hines canceled. We had him booked (laughs) for an interview. He just canceled. Way to go, Ben. We'll never get that Hines interview.
3: Uh, Greg, you got to know when to hold him, know when to fold him high. You're not helping. Trying to get him
2: booked on the show. He keeps canceling. Did I tell you he was a great poker player? Please stop. All right, it's the middle of the day. Uh, Chicago has a new mayor. And Ben, I got a feeling uh, that most of the people listening to this would really like to hear more of your take on Monday's inauguration uh, of Mayor Lori Lightfoot ASAP. I mean, after all you were there. But first, we must briefly discuss the national news happening this afternoon mm-hmm. and i'll be as brief as i can with today's national news Former White House counsel Don McGahn Was uh, mm. subpoenaed to testify Before the House Judiciary Committee today But McGahn took the advice given to him By one President Donald <laughs> Trump And refused to appear Break out the bucket of chicken The <laughs> hearing has been adjourned And McGahn is expected to be held in contempt Over his refusal to testify In other news, today Donald Trump's attorneys Are appealing a ruling that his accounting firm Must turn over his financial records Trump lawyers filed a notice of appeal Today in D.C. District Court Meanwhile, we got House Intelligence committee chairman, Adam Schiff, bringing up the I-word again. He said the case for impeaching Donald Trump, quote, gets stronger the more they stonewall, which in turn has Democratic House Speaker and Ben Jirofsky's no longer secret crush, Nancy Pelosi, <laughs> in a bit of a jam. Yeah. She's been advocating for no Trump impeachment, uh, so she will meet Wednesday with the entire Democratic caucus to discuss a game plan moving forward. Ben Jirofsky, I hate to steal the big question from this week's Pelosi party you're hosting, but... <laughs> Is it time for the speaker to advocate for
3: impeaching the president of the United States? Uh, I don't. You know that is a great question. And You know Nancy Pelosi has uh, been playing the good cop. Uh, as opposed to Adam Schiff and the rest of the Democrats, bad cops. So they're like, "We want the documents, <laughs> well, uh,
1: ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> we have the documents. There's fluoride in the water. I repeat, fluoride in the water. We'll be right back." That's uh, the best,
2: Alex Jones. Right now, get your InfoWars water filtration system. You heard him. There's fluoride in that water. Uh,
3: Alex Jones is awesome. It makes me crack up. I hear it all the time. By the way, folks, you're on the train going home. Then, hey, let me do my uh, uh, Alex Jones. Uh, uh, but anyway, yes, uh, Nancy Pelosi's playing the good cop to the bad cop that the rest of the Democrats are playing. And she's saying, well, you know, I don't want to push too fast on impeachment. Uh, you know, we, do, we don't want to get it too far ahead of people. Uh, blah blah blah, et cetera, et cetera. And the rest of the Democrats are like, impeach them!" So uh, at some point, I believe that Nancy Pelosi will have to drop the good cop uh, approach. Uh, we'll see what Atiba has to say about this. And David Seaton, are coming in to talk about this strategy. Most of the Democrats I know want to uh, impeach and impeach now D Uh, but then I hang around with a lefty crowd so I gotta know you know I'm gonna take a field trip down to the six one eight. See what folks down there are saying. All right, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> see if they're really into the impeachment thing. But um, listen, the, Donald Trump is uh, in many ways trying to force the Dems to go uh, strong, go hard with the impeachment thing. We'll see how long Nancy Pelosi can hold out with this. Uh, I don't know. Uh, got you know the good cop
2: strategy. Now, of course, we will keep you posted on these stories as today's program rolls along. Blah, blah, yada, yada.
4: Okay, Lori Lightfoot. I stand here today inaugurated as Chicago's first black woman mayor and first openly gay mayor.
2: Yes, Monday at Wind Trust Arena in the South Loop. History was made as Lori Lightfoot was sworn in as Chicago's first black female mayor, as well as Chicago's first openly gay mayor. Meaning, yes, Rahm Emanuel is no longer in charge. Ben Jarowski had a party last night. Oh, he was so happy. Mike, he called me. D, man, he's gone, finally. Like, dude, it's one in the morning. I'm trying to sleep. What are you doing? i he's gone. But our very own Ben Jarosky was at the inauguration. Yes, so before we get to the audio, I have here, Ben, give us your report. How was it? What was the overall vibe like? Oh, and uh, hey, dude, how come you didn't invite me? <laughs> I am well, sitting there waiting.
3: First of all, I was. It was lucky that I got an invitation. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, Maya was the one, as I said, who set it up, insisted that I go there, uh, met me at the corner to make sure I didn't run away at the last minute, uh, ushered me in. We sat in press row, as I said. Got to. By the way, guess for ten trivia points. Who did I sit next to? Who did you sit next to? The Marine Antonio. Salute when you say that name.
2: Bring up that station you got fired from again. Make it awkward. It's awesome.
3: (laughs) The brains of that station. uh, It was happened to be sitting next to me. Had a grand old time uh, sitting next to him. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was for political junkies. It was a great thing. Uh, there was a spirit, it was very of, of Harold Washington. I like when she, I think you may be playing that tape, but when she invoked Harold Washington, old timers like me, uh, you know, just the, the fact that we had a mayor of the city of Chicago who had invoked the spirit of Harold Washington, who came into office determined to change the way we do things, the unfairness with what, which, which we distribute services, jobs, uh, everything else in the city, the fact that she invoked him, uh, you know, made me feel good, filled with pride. And uh, so I'm really optimistic for once in my life. Usually I'm hey, the jaded. There we go. <laughs> Give me about a week, <laughs> What well, If that, all right? You know, but because uh, my hopes are generally crushed. Uh, but that vibe, that just general vibe that things are going to change in Chicago, that Lori Lightfoot wants to change things in Chicago, uh, fired me up. So I was excited on that level.
2: We got a, a question on the live stream chat. This comes from Supervisor Clinical. Boy, there's people <laughs> on our chat. <shed. laughs> yeah. I guess Jim Jones or somebody normally is going to. Uh, want. Okay, Supervisor Clinical asks: Since you were at the inauguration, Ben, uh, was Willie, whoever I pick, will be the next mayor? Wilson at the inauguration. I didn't see Willie didn't Wilson. See Willie. I didn't see Ricky Hendon there. Uh, but
3: by the way, Ricky Hendon on... Interview. Let's plug that one from about a week ago. It was a great interview. Very classic interview with Ricky Hendon. Uh, did not see Willie Wilson. That doesn't mean he was. Okay, once again, I was in the press row. It was kind of in the back. <laughs> they put the press way in the back. Hey, we're not going to waste any good seats on you guys.
2: <laughs> oh, Jaroski, i uh, throw put, him in the back. Surprised
3: they didn't put us in the parking lot. No kidding. Uh, but uh, anyway, so I did not uh, see. Uh, I saw Del Marie Cobb was there. So Double D. Doris Davenport was there. You know, a lot of friends of this show. I watched it on
2: YouTube and I saw Doris Davenport. Yeah, the I was like, oh, Doris. Yeah, yeah
3: there she was. Uh, anyway, but uh, didn't, did not not see Willie Wilson. Watched
2: it on YouTube, I said. Okay. You, you I, didn't invite me. That's oh, what I'm trying to prove. Oh, no.
3: I didn't know where you were going
2: with that. And it's I listened, not like I had the guest list, okay? I was lucky to get an invitation myself. And I listened to, uh, to it on WBBM, although that was nice. I got uh, traffic and weather on the 8s. <laughs> so did they gonna...
3: interrupt the speech code, traffic and weather on the 1s? <laughs> it's the 8s. Uh, Oh, is it the 8s? I thought eights. it was the 1s. You don't do
2: it at 1 after at 8. Oh, I did not know. I thought it was the 1s. Big BBM fan here.
3: huh? <laughs> oh, they drive me crazy. Way too much traffic. Okay? Nobody needs a... They, everybody's got the app. What's that thing called, D? An app. No, it's it's the traffic <laughs> app. Everybody has that. You don't need that, all The traffic. Oh, oh. Waze. <laughs> yes, ways. Thank you. Anyway, I, oh, perfect guy to give advice to radio stations. <laughs> guy who got fired by one. Man on the
2: one. No, it's the eighth. <laughs> oh, sorry. All right, so let's talk Good. about the inauguration speech. Mm-hmm. All right, there okay. were. Uh, Motivational moments, like when Mayor Lightfoot talked about her upbringing.
4: As I stand here today, I can't help but think about where I came from. Children who look like me and come from families like mine shouldn't have to beat the odds to get education, pursue their passions, or build a family.
2: Emotional moments, like when she talked about her mother.
4: There's one person that you are about to meet who laid the foundation for everything that I am today. She's my role model, my champion, woman on whose dreams and high expectations propelled me through life. my mother. Yeah, like
2: And yes, our favorite awkward moments, like when she thanked the guy who doesn't have to go home but has to get the hell out of office, (laughs) former Mayor Rahm Emanuel, along with his wife, Amy.
4: I thank Mayor Emanuel for his dedication and service to this city, which was exemplified by the attention and time that he and his staff devoted to making this transition as smooth as possible. And I also commend Amy Rule for her contributions to the city. Join me in wishing them both well as they head off into the next chapter of their lives.
2: This is when Ben was just standing up, <laughs> jumping up and down. <laughs> Man, I love him! <laughs> no, you uh, can't see it, but that's how uh, Rom's standing there waving like a weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta tell you, T, uh, it's
3: so funny because uh Lori Light it's, it's these moments in politics where uh the uh, victor uh thanks and the person she essentially vanquished. Uh and yes, Rom did not run, was not officially vanquished by Lori Lightfoot, because he chickened out, he didn't run for re-election, he saw the same polls that everybody else saw, and he, that he was getting swamped, that finally the black community had turned against him. She uh, should never have voted for him in two thousand and fifteen, in my humble opinion. Opinion, but whatever, they were drinking that Obama Kool Aid back in 2015, uh, and so he decided not to run for re-election. So, but you know, that's how you do it in politics. Uh, you have to just sort of pretend as though, well, that fight was then, now we're now, we've all made up. And so, you know, you say nice things about <clears throat> the person you vanquished. But uh, so I was not one of the people standing and cheering <laughs> when Rah, when she did You're the Rom thing. No, but there was this hilarious uh, caption. Uh, France Spielman uh, noted it in today's Bright One, uh, and I saw it too. And I wrote about it in the Reader. Uh, the, the person who's doing the the captioning—I don't know how they do the captioning that goes on the overhead board—but instead of calling him Mayor Rom, it, I think they said "Don't re- Don't Remember Mayor Rom." So, yeah. Anyway, Rom people burn. people are already trying to forget that he was our, our mayor of the city of Chicago.
2: Uh, hire Ben Jarofsky for your next captioning uh, <laughs> thing. You need not not big on captioning. I didn't
3: have anything to do with the caption, although you know I applauded it. Like everybody in press row, they, you sit. With press row, they're so jaded and cynical. <laughs> by the way, you're not allowed to cheer when you're in the press row. Did you know that, D? No, like not. I'm, you know, I'm you didn't like invite me. You know, okay, so, you know, I'm like usually the kind of guy that talks to a movie. You know, like in, don't go there. Don't don't go into the basement. Anyway, that kind of guy. So when I'm at the. Listening to the speeches, you know, like when Rom's talking, I'm like, "Oh God, give me a (laughs) break!" Oh my God, are you falling for this? And the other reporters like, "Ben, uh, this is Press Row, okay? You don't talk in Press Row." Get this guy in the parking lot. (laughs) Oh God! Then when Lori says something good that I like, yeah. (laughs) So anyway, uh, yeah, the guys in Press, but even the guys in Press Row as jaded as they are. Got a big kick out of the caption. Hey, look at the caption. They all pointed at the caption. They don't like Rom anymore more nighter they just don't sit come out
2: and say it so there was the emotional motivational awkward moments but then things got interesting
4: for years they've said chicago ain't ready for reform well get ready because <laughs> reform is here i campaigned on change you for change and I plan to deliver change to our government. That means restoring trust in our city's government and finally bringing some real integrity to the way this city works.
2: When discussing reform in the city of Chicago and while calling out, let's face it, the city council member who was currently indicted for abusing his power, Alderman Ed Burke, uh, this is the moment where a particular group in the room got very quiet all of a sudden. Lightfoot addressed ending aldermanic prerogative.
4: Later this afternoon, I will sign an executive order to end the worst abuses of the so-called aldermanic privilege. this does not mean that our aldermen won't have power in their communities of course they will and it does not mean that our aldermen will not be able to make sure that the streetlights are working or the parking signs are in the right place or any of the thousands of good things that they do for people every day it simply means this it means ending their unilateral unchecked unchecked control over every single thing that goes on in our wards. Aldermen will have a voice but not a veto. It's the time for a new era of trust between the people of Chicago and the government that serves them.
2: You know, city council members weren't uh, jumping for joy. In that All right, let's, let's,
3: let's break that one down. That's the great moment where uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, uh, Back, double down on her promise to get rid of automatic privilege, automatic prerogative. You know what I, my position on this thing. I think it's a phony, fraudulent issue. Uh, there's far more important issues that the city must face. Or already. I've, I'm now already critical of the it didn't take long. Uh, but it was a great dramatic moment yesterday. No doubt about it. Uh, Lori Lightfoot. A turn. I, I don't know if you saw this, D, if you were watching or if you just listened, but uh, it was like this moment where she turned and confronted the city council. The aldermen were sitting behind her on the stage. They had a better seat than I did, by the way. They were... Did I yeah. mention I was way in press row, which is like the parking lot, uh, and... Uh, they were right behind the mayor at, when she gave the speech. She turned around and looked at him. It was like that moment when a fighter's in the ring. You know how they go? Uh, no, it, they look each other in the eye. You know, Mike Tyson. I, by the way, if I was ever in a ring with Mike Tyson, I would get out of there. Anyway, she She like looked him in the eye. Uh, and people told me that she, that was totally improv at the moment, that she didn't practice it. Well, who knows? But anyway, she looked at me and I said it directly and the crowd went crazy. People in the city of Chicago, its not the first time that I'm not in the mainstream of the city. People in the city of Chicago have decided that aldermen are prerogative uh, is an important issue in the city. Uh, I think that aldermen should have a say on zoning matters. I think the aldermen should be the ones who lead uh, public hearings on these things. I don't I would rather have my locally elected official be the one who oversees what goes on in my ward than put it in the hands of a nameless, faceless bureaucrat in City Hall. If it was, I think that of all the things that Lori Lightfoot is promising to do, this is the easiest. Because essentially, she's not taking any power away from herself. She's taking power away from aldermen. Oh, well, they're giving more power to herself. So I don't think this is an important issue. But again... Obviously, I am in the minority on this one, uh, and the people went nuts. They started cheering, and the alderman just sat there, like you said, "Mm, steam coming out of the air. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. But what can you do? I mean, the the Chicago City Council, under Mayor Rahm, let's not forget that part of the equation, put Ed Burke in a position of power, running the finance committee, approving every single TIF deal, every single uh, contract, and every single downtown development deal and so he was the man and meanwhile he's running a uh, property tax appeal business that's taking business from many of the same people who are turning to the city with their hands out so yes he made the city council look bad and the city council went along with it so they're going to have to pay for the repercussions natural consequences young dennis i know you learned that growing up in alton natural consequences
2: yeah way to go ed burke way to Pee in the punch ball. All right. Now, just like that, you're now in the know of what's going on in Chicago. Yes, it is official. Lori
4: Lightfoot is mayor of Chicago. For years, they've said Chicago ain't ready for reform. Well, get ready because reform is here.
2: And now you'll have an answer the next time someone asks you, hey, what else is new?
3: Chicago ain't ready for reform. Well, I'll tell you something, D. I'll tell you who is ready for reform. We are on the Ben Jarofsky Show. we got Atiba Buchanan and David Seaton on deck. They're going to come on. I'm going to tell you something that Atiba thinks. Okay. David thinks. And Leah, the show editor. They all agree. You did a great job. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Get ready, folks. Atiba and David are coming on after this. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. LandCremationOptions.com. It's
5: Chicagoland's
3: Adult Entertainment
2: Playground. It's the world-famous Admiral Theater. 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. The Admiral is homegrown from Chicago, and it's the most conveniently located club in all of the city. 15 minutes from the O'Hare Airport in downtown Chicago Loop. Voted Chicago's best strip club, the Admiral has showgirls galore, and a variety of adult entertainment shows. The world-famous Admiral Theater. Open every day from 7 p.m. to 6 a.m. 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. For events, showtime, and other information, visit... AdmiralX.com. Must be 18 years of age or older to enter. Commercial break over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Live from the Chicago Sun-Times.
3: Yes, indeed, we are live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Atibu Buchanan has become a regular in this show. This is his third appearance yes sir and uh now this time you did not come solo atiba that's right and so why don't i'll let you introduce to our listeners and our viewers by the way uh your guest or our new guest. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Joining me today is my man, my confidant, my pal, my friend, my partner in crime, if you will, Mr. David Seaton. He is my co-host on my podcast, Humanity in the Headlines.
3: All right. Welcome to the show, David.
1: Thank you very much. It's a great pleasure. It's a great (laughs) pleasure. I've been listening to you for a long time.
3: Uh, Yeah, that just means I'm old. Anyway, um, (laughs) so uh, yeah, in the past, uh, David, you were working. I don't think you could make it here at the the time, so it's good to have you here. Thank you. Uh, in the show. Just briefly about yourself. We all know that Atiba is, and I say this uh, with full, like a compliment, is a political geek of the highest order. He's really passionate about his politics, follows it, knows it. I can see a fellow geek, uh, you know, looking, it's like looking in the mirror when I look at him. Uh, Are you of the geekish persuasion as well?
1: I am probably just (laughs) as much of a geek as both of you, yes, Uh, definitely. I I grew up in the west suburbs of, of Chicago all my life, so I'm born and bred, I'm very familiar With Chicago politics, so I'm looking forward to getting into this. Proviso West High School. Proviso West High School, correct. How
0: did I know that?
1: Yes, we're both the same class.
3: We know this, we have this conversation already. No. You're from Proviso West? Yes, we did. Yeah, we talked about that. Oh, okay, I can't remember. He and I have been
0: friends since eighth grade, seventh or eighth grade, yes. Yeah, so we've been. So,
3: were you the kind of kids in eighth grade that actually followed politics? I, I wasn't.
1: Go I ahead. was. I was. I watched the Iran Contra hearings in the '80s when I was probably what? I, I don't want to tell everyone my age. <laughs> That's but. all right. You're younger than me.
5: <laughs> it's all
1: good. <laughs> but no, I, I've been following politics my whole life. So you, uh, so you guys, did you
3: follow? Let's see. So if you follow Iran Contra, were you uh, following Anita Hill? The, I was, correct. And now, you know what? That's uh, mostly what I talk about with Atiba is national politics, Trump. Mm-hmm. But let's just start off. I mean, let's just start uh, briefly. Your thoughts, your memories. When you think about the Anita Hill hearings, uh, you watch it as a kid. We're... Biden is back in the headlines. Uh, He was, of course, the chairman of the Judiciary Committee. Um,
1: That's a canard. Most of the time, what I see today is that we make the mistake of trying to judge something that happened in the past with our... With hindsight, it's unfair to hold Joe Biden accountable for something he did 30 years ago, using the perspective that we have today. Having said that, I I do remember in the Anita Hill hearings when Clarence Thomas said, "This is a high tech lynching." That's the one thing that I always remember about that. And given that he was being he was being nominated after Thurgood Marshall died, I, I, you know, I, I just thought that he just that he was just playing that he just did that because he was the only black guy in the room, and he and he knew that it would play, and, and he was a Republican, so I, I never really was a, have been a fan of him. And he's the only person that can get away with saying it. Exactly. I've right. never been a fan you of him. You
3: know his. what? I, I'm so glad you guys say this. I, I, I go on and on about the, the Anita Hill hearings, but the, the, the point I hammer home is that uh, the Republicans did a very good job, and this is where I give biden i blame biden the republicans did a very good job of manipulating absolutely everything to guarantee the nominee now uh the 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 confirmation of clarence thomas and again he was replacing. He was being nominated to replace a giant of civil rights law, perhaps the greatest civil rights lawyer this country has ever uh, produced. And he himself is anti everything that Thurgood Marshall st- stood for, including affirmative action. And so, for him,
1: it still get the me. irony that he that he is where he is because of affirmative action, and then he wants to dismantle it after he's on the Supreme Court is always going to be you. a historical irony.
3: I. I, I, I I can't get over it. How many years ago is that, David? I still can't get over. It. And the high tech lynching—he never. It's like I always want—I don't want to be a black person judged by you know for being black, until it's to my advantage, advantage right. to be judged <laughs> for being black, and then you're being mean to me, liberals. I mean,
1: well, Clarence uh, Clarence Thomas is 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 of the, the worst order in terms of in terms of the shoes that he was filling. And I mean, we could get really deep into just the hypocrisy generally of the Republican ideology, and he is just emblematic of that. Uh, like I said, uh, um, being on the Supreme Court, it was just a slap in the face to African-Americans, the civil rights movement, and minorities all over the country.
0: Or, and that's at. before we got into the sexual harassment.
3: Yeah,
1: exactly.
0: that's
3: Yeah, that's. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That doesn't even include that. <laughs> all right, well, uh, let me ask you this then. going th- The Biden question uh, that... I phrase from that, um, there's two Biden issues you can phrase. One is how uh, he was unfair to Anita Hill, which probably has the most uh, resonance today politically, uh, Atiba. And then the second um, the second issue is the strategy that Joe Biden followed and his general uh, attitude toward Republicans is that we can work with them. I'm going to be as conciliatory as I can be. I'm going to compromise with them. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. That's what he did throughout the whole hearing. If you imagine if it was reversed, Rema- imagine if the Republicans were in control and it was an outspoken liberal nominee. Sure. who was? How would the Republicans have treated him?
0: Well, we all know. We all know the answer to that. However, to, to David's point, I will say this. In 94, in 91, and because that's what we're talking about here, the early 90s, there, bipartisanship wasn't necessarily the bad word that it is today. That is pre-Fox News. That is pre-Fox where we are today by these divisive politics. So for him to behave that way in 91 is kind of understandable because, again, Republicans and Democrats did get things done collectively and together. It is not the same environment that we have now, this tribalism that we see today. So to David's point, yes, it is. it would be unfair to look at him through the lens of today for what happened in 91, because if we're being honest, it was a different environment in 91 and 92 and 93 and 94. So with that said, Republicans, the one, the one consistent thing through that is Their hypocrisy. That wouldn't have changed because it's the early 90s. But I think now we can finally get to a point that as Democrats we can openly say we just need to outvote them and then put our agenda through because we know at this point we cannot work with them.
1: And, and the Republicans have done a very good job of redefining the political continuum. Mm-hmm. If you're going to look at the, poli- the political continuum as you know, far left and far right, they've moved what what used to be the center. They've moved it to center right, mm-hmm. and now if you're someone who's on the left, they can call you a radical and call you extreme when really you're just you're just on ago, the left.
0: That would have been centrist,
1: exactly. You know, so so again, even with the Anita Hill uh, with the Anita Hill hearing, again. I, I, it, it was we didn't have the Me Too movement. I mean, you you have to remember that you know going back you know 40 years almost. I mean, a lot of the things that we're dealing with today, as far as the Me Too movement and women's rights and and gay rights and and a lot of the other a lot of the other issues that are on the table, were nowhere near being considered back then. So that was par for the course to have a conversation with a woman who is accusing a Supreme Court justice that was very highly revered and respected just by being nominated to his position and say how dare you come in and besmirch the good name of this nominee from from George H Walker Bush <laughs> going to the Supreme Court you know you had all this pomp and circumstance where people were were respecting the process and, and the office and 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 to Atiba's point you know the tribalism that we have today it, it has eviscerated all of those norms and things that we used to hold dear
3: all right well uh, yes it was a different time politically and but Joe Biden uh, back to the Biden issue mm-hmm. is, is it's it's almost as though he wants to bring those days back. I'm not talking about bringing back the days where you nominate a a right winger like Clarence Thomas to the Supreme Court. I'm talking about bringing back the days, if they even existed ever, by the way, of bipartisanship, uh, working across the aisle. That's what he's, he's almost as though he's campaigning as though if he defeats Trump, those days will return. Uh, TB, do you think that? Is naive of him to say that, or do you think it's a possibility that we can return to those days?
0: It'd be completely naive, and I don't say say that just based on a feeling. Mitch McConnell has said so. He said, "If we lose the White House in 2020, I'm still." (laughs) <laughs> the head of the Senate and I'm going to he said I think what was the phrase he said call me the grim reaper he's not allowing anything to the floor so if that's what you're working with and that's and that's very similar to his comments when Obama was uh, initially won the presidency what did he say we're going to make him a one term president he barely he barely sat out on the <laughs> the Oval Office <laughs> the, the, the chair yeah. to figure out what he's going to do before they figured out that whatever Obama put up they weren't they weren't going to approve it even if it was th- even if it were things that they agreed with so that dynamic hasn't changed and then, and they're not going to change their position because it's joe biden those days are long gone again as democrats we have to be bold enough to admit that we're not going to win trump voters that we that we're not going to win people like mitch mcconnell we, we have to outvote them outnumber them and then apply our agenda and i'm sure in in, in the hindsight president obama would say would admit the same thing that's, that's the biggest fault of his first two years of his presidency, was trying to, was trying to do everything by the book.
1: Well, I, I think that the biggest mistake that we have is just a general lack of understanding of basic civics in our country today. The Republicans did a very good job during the Reagan years of branding the Reagan tax cuts when when if anyone and the three of us know this and anyone listening who who understands civics knows tax cuts are not passed by the president they're passed by the congress so and, and, and that's an that's an important distinction to make because when we when we get so distracted about who is in the white house we forget that the only purpose of the executive branch is to execute the laws that are passed by congress and the republicans have done a very good job of getting us to concentrate on the president when we when we really should be concentrating on a 50 st- 50 state strategy to take over the Congress because to your point if Mitch McConnell says I, you, you put a put a Democrat in 1600 Pennsylvania if you want to all I'm going to do is just dis- disrupt and, and, and stand in the person's way mm-hmm. that reinforces that he's telling you right there the power is not in the presidency the power is here yeah. because I can keep this one job out, as long as I keep 51 it's people on my cut. team in this chamber I can I can stop anything or I can ma- let anything move forward and that's the that's the that's the thing that we've got to rediscover as Democrats We need to have a 50 state strategy to take and hold the Congress like we did for 40 years. You know, and the, you know, but after World War II, the Democrats were in charge of Congress for decades, and it wasn't until the the right wing and and the right wing echo chamber and Fox News and 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 all of those people that you know, then the Rush Limbaugh's, you know, they were able to galvanize the the guy who's driving in his car every day, yeah. you know, listening to this claptrap and, and getting brainwashed, and and they understand, you know, they they understood if we get Trump in, we can take back Roe versus Wade. This has been a multi Decade strategy they play the long game too often Democrats play a short game just for immediate gains and they don't look at the long game
3: well to the i um, both your points <clears throat> the Democrats have allowed Republicans to play the long game by going as Obama did it Biden did it in 91 pretending as though that there's a bipartisanship that existed when when they knew it didn't exist and well. when I look back at the uh, Obama years and the Clinton years the, the notion that the, the Democrats kind of uh, the mainstream Democrats sort of demonize in a way their left bank, the, the their left side of the party. If you follow what I'm saying, they they, say, they they always try to distinguish themselves from the left. You know what I mean? Like, well, people on the left say X, Y, Z. In fact, Biden at that speech that he gave in the 90s, I don't know if you've seen that speech where uh, he's where he talking about the, uh, the crime bill. Biden said, you know, there are some liberal members of my party who think that you should take into consideration poverty when it comes to crime. But I'm just worried about the criminal. They kind of demonized them. I can't imagine a Republican ever demonizing the right wing and the right wing took over and took the agenda. But I'm just wondering, will the Democrats ever stop this? How do I put this? This. This effort to try to move right as though there is some kind of consensus and, uh, and sort of leave them behind the left wing of their party. What do you think about that?
0: Yeah, I think it's, it's a tough pill to swallow, but we don't want to swallow it. Um, I see all these uh, stories on MSNBC and CNN where they keep talking to Trump voters that are now dissatisfied with the president because of his tariffs or because of whatever he's done that's now impacting them personally. But the truth of the matter is they'll, they'll still vote for him stop trying to win over those people we're not going to win them over democrats would be well better served focusing on their base focusing on getting rid of voter suppression focusing on bringing out women voters and most of all focusing on bringing out young voters and if they focused on that again hillary clinton won by three million votes we would continue to win at least the presidency for for, for the foreseeable future
1: I, I, again I, I there's a danger there uh, especially like and I and when you bring up the crime bill and I remember Atiba and I had several shows about this and when it came down to Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton and people who are Bernie fans were saying yeah Hillary Clinton remember she was the one that said super predator and she yeah. was the one about the crime bill blah blah but she was the first lady she didn't have a vote she didn't have a vote. She was the she was out she was out there espousing what was at the time accepted dogma about how to deal with inner city violence and drug use. The one thing that the Republican the other thing that the Republican Party does have to their advantage that the left does not have is that because they are commingled with the Christian right, they have an automatic forty to sixty million person voting block mm-hmm. as long as they say no abortion guns for everyone you know they've got a couple of issues that they can just say those three issues and they've been saying it for 30 40 years guns gays and god as long as they say those three things that they've got a 40 to 60 million person block that is going to come out and vote for whomever the nominee is we don't have that galvanizing issue on the left so and just the way the left work I mean people who are left minded tend to, their brains just work differently so we you can't we're not sheeple like they are on what the right
3: what do you mean their brains work differently?
1: I mean, there's there's been a lot of there's been a lot of study, uh, and we we've, we've talked about this on our on our show. There's been a lot of study that people who are right wing or, or who are tend to be more conservative, just the way their brains are wired. That there it's there's there's a correlation between being a right winger and being more religious. And when you tend to be more religious, you know, the guy standing up there just says, "This is this week's sermon. God said do this, so do it." That's how these that's how these right wing evangelical evangelical pastors can get up there and say God. wants you to vote for Trump, and if you don't vote, if if Trump gets impeached, you know what's his, what that one uh, pre- uh, uh, minister was saying? If, uh, if if Trump gets impeached, there's going to be a civil war in this country. Was that Graham who said that, I think so. Yeah, yeah. you know, Billy's but, son. But on the left, you know, that just the way that our brains are wired, we tend to be more liberal, we tend to be more open, we tend to be more accepting, and that way, and so you can't you can't get us, you can't get liberal-minded people around one one galvanizing issue because on the left, someone will say climate change, someone will say voter suppression, someone will say, you know, choice for women, someone will, you know, so, you know, but, but, but I do believe at the end of the day that the left is more representative of the, um, of the, of a 21st century America. All you have to do is just look at the senators and they're, you, they're all white men with the exception of two or three white women.
3: Yeah. Well, that's a great point. In other words, uh, people of the left essentially are more open-minded. Uh, and less likely to fall in line. That old line about Democrats fall in love, Republicans fall in line. That's what you're getting at. Uh, I am now going to introduce you to what I call the Doctor D theory of the upcoming election. That's Dennis over there, the good-looking young Let's man. Go <laughs> uh, Doctor D has said to me many times that, uh, in his humble opinion, if the Democratic candidate for President of the United States, without any apology endorses strongly endorses and promises to do absolutely everything he or she can to uh, advance create a uh, pass adopt uh, a national health plan uh, like a medicare for all everybody in this country is going to get health care plan no doubt about it no complicated you got to sign up here and you're you're, uh, you you know you're going to pay x amount of money but no, no, everybody gets it he his theory is that that person will win uh, convincingly because America is ready for a healthcare plan. What do you think of the Dr. D theory?
0: I love it. Um, you know, let me, let me get full disclosure. I'm a Bernie bro. So that sounds like music to my ears. <laughs> uh, so let me just be honest with you. Uh, but that, you know, and, and let, me, let me put it on a more personal level. Uh, I've been on dialysis for 10 years. So most people don't know they that, know that yeah. until I right yeah. until I tell them. I've been dealing with kidney failure for 17 years, and I'm only 45 years old. Um, not through anything that I've ever done. I've never smoked. I've never. I, David can attest, my friend of 30 years. I don't drink. Uh, I don't do recreational drugs. My worst bad habit is fried chicken. I love Popeye's. <laughs> I love chicken too. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Music to my ears. <laughs> so I have what's called a pre-existing condition. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so healthcare yeah. is something that is near and dear to me. At the same time, I, and again, I'm, I'm liberal minded, it's a simple thought process to me. You shouldn't, I, 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 like Bernie, I view healthcare as a right. And that's where the big divide is. Most people, when, when, you, when we allow Republicans to frame health care as a privilege, as something you should work for, when they say things like, well, I've made all the right choices, why should I have to pay, blah, 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 stop, stop. If you have good health, it's, it, yeah, did, it, did it have something to do with the choices you made? Perhaps. But it also had something to do with the privilege you had. Because if you grow up in an area that has food deserts, if you grow up in an area that all you can eat is McNuggets four times a week, then what? Then what? Then Then what is your health going to look like by the time you're 30, by the time you're 35? So again, health care for all is something that all Americans can appreciate because even me saying that, black people in the inner city are not the only people with health care challenges in this country. That is something that is nationwide and we all feel. So I'm, I'm with Dennis all day. It is time for an unapologetic, full-throated endorsement of Medicare for all. Mm-hmm.
1: I would definitely agree that the, that one of the One of the biggest impediments when we get down to a, a binary choice when you get down to a, the the Republican nominee and the, and the Democratic nominee, the Republicans have done a very good job of boiling down their message to two or three issues. George W. Bush, you could ask him whatever you wanted to ask him, hey what's the weather like? and he'd say, No child left behind yeah, yeah, <laughs> he yeah. would just he would just over and over and over. so I do agree that 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 the Democrats would would really benefit from having a simple succinct message that everyone knows what they stand for. And beyond that, Medicare, the Medicare system that we have right now, as far as insurance is concerned, is based on the law of large numbers and pooling people together so that you can drive down the costs for everyone else. When you put when you put everyone who's 65 and up who are all sick into one large pool, it's going to be expensive. So it it only makes sense that if you put 320 million people into one big pool, that's going to drive down the cost for everyone individually. So it it just makes fiscal sense to do that.
3: All right, but the the other part that I really want to emphasize of the dentist, we're giving all this credit, Dr. D. Hey, I like today's show.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Noted political
3: scientist Dr. D. He says this all the time. He's from the six one eight, he's from downstate Illinois. He says this all the time. People downstate want health care. There's yeah. this notion that the Trump voters or people who don't live within the blue world, you know, like where everybody is Democrat. Uh, somehow or other, don't want health care. And it's like a notion that people who live in that world uh, don't smoke reefer, which I'll put to the side for the moment. It's one of my favorite topics. <laughs> they do smoke it, but they want health care. That's Dennis's theory. And I agree with him on this point. I believe that you're like, if you offer somebody something, if you offer the voter something for his tax dollars, something really tangible, I don't know many voters would say no to it. And And to
1: your your point, and this is something that Atiba and I have discussed a lot, to his his point that he just made, most people operate from the position of, hey, I'm paying my taxes, I'm doing what's right, and they think they're making the selfish decision to say, hey, I don't want to subsidize someone else's health care. But we don't live, this isn't the 1800s, we don't live in an agrarian society, we are all interconnected, so it is is from a selfish motive that you should want to pay for someone else's health care, so that when your kid goes to school, he doesn't get sick from another kid whose parents can't afford health care or when you go to the grocery store you don't catch something from someone who's shopping in that grocery store because they don't have health care or you get on a plane and someone sneezes on the plane and you contract something because that person can't you're protecting yourself by investing in a system that covers everyone so just from a selfish point of view and from a fiduciary point of view it just makes sense to create a national health care system for the third largest country in the world
0: and Ben if I can offer something to support what you just said about this this country and people in rural America also wanting health care we've seen the evidence of that all during Donald Trump's first two and a half years in in his presidency the first two years of his presidency he had the house he had the senate and they could not get rid of Obamacare that's the one thing he wanted to do and even then they couldn't do it why because his constituents made it clear you can get rid of if you want but you better have something better And since they couldn't provide anything better, Obamacare is still the law of the land. That's the one thing he has not been able to undo. So, again, the the proof is in the pudding. If he could get rid of Obamacare, he would have gotten rid of it. But his constituents, whether they want to admit it or not, still wanted it. Absolutely. And here's
3: something I'm going to give Trump credit for. Trump is not afraid to demonize anybody who's against him. So, for instance... Uh, this is unthinkable that he would be doing this as a Republican uh, president. In My lifetime, Republicans have been always "quote unquote" the law and order party, and they just like revere, uh, the, like for instance, the FBI and JAG or Hoover. Donald Trump was under investigation by the FBI by the Justice Department uh, for his wheeling and dealing with Russia. We all know they colluded with him. Whether it whether they're going to prosecute him for it or not is beyond the point. He, he colluded with them. What did he do? A he fought, he just started, uh, he, he started demonizing the FBI. I'm right. like, I, I can't believe I'm living long enough to see a Republican law and order president yep. demonizing the FBI. When I was a kid, there was a TV show called the FBI from Zimbalist Jr. And it was like Mr. Wright. You get yeah. what I'm saying? So the Democrats, though, when it comes to health care, they see the uh, insurance industry is opposing them. What do they do? They placate the insurance. They're afraid. They run away from Donald Trump. If we would start tweeting about the insurance company, calling them special interests. Do you think the Democrats are finally willing to stand up uh, and fight the way Donald Trump is fighting?
0: Only on the far left or what we would consider the far left. So Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ca- Cortez. Yeah. Ocasio-Cortez. thank you. Um, she, she's she been the most vocal opponent of this, along with Senator Bernie Sanders. Um, and people are now beginning to listen. But as a, as a whole, the Pelosi's of the world, the Cory Booker's of the world, the people in leadership, they are still slow footing it. And we have to get them on board because you're right. Messaging and framing has everything to do with it. And we're, as a party, unfortunately, we're still not there yet.
3: All right, let me ask you this question. Both of you uh, t- sort of bring things together with what just went, happen- what went down in Chicago. Most of your focus is on a, uh, the national level, Trump and the, the presidential race for the Democrats, et cetera. But in Chicago, we just had the inauguration of Lori Lightfoot, mayor of the city of Chicago. Uh, she gave a passionate speech yesterday where she was definitely uh, acknowledging sort of the leftist perspective of the city. Uh, in terms of talking about opening up government, being more equitable, being more fair, um, and uh, sort of undoing the privileges that the elite had in Chicago uh, for the last 20 (laughs) years. Ever. We just say ever. Well, Harold, okay. But anyway, uh, so at least since 1990 or so. uh, In your opinion, I get both of your opinions about this, um, do you think that this is a side of a trend that could be infecting the Democratic Party as a whole? Uh, or do you think that, uh, you know, this is just a, a Chicago thing? What do you think? Do you think this is a larger theme that's going out there?
1: I definitely think this is a grassroots thing that's 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 happening. The embrace of of climate change has been coming from the from the grassroots up because we can't get it established at the federal level. Uh, the embrace of of this type of populism is really what we're talking about when we're talking about deconstructing the the dynastic familial wealth that has controlled the third largest city in the in the United States. That's what we're talking about. So and and it is not a coincidence that she had to come from the LGBT community to kind of embraced you know that end of the political the political spectrum but but definitely I I think we're going to see that foregoing just because the 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 National Democrats to date have just been too feckless and spineless to really take a stand and 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 that's why the most important thing that the most important thing that Donald Trump has shown us is that sometimes the messenger is more important than the message. And right now, the Democrats on the national stage, in order for us to take back uh, the White House, we need an effective messenger because we already have the message. Um,
0: so to answer that about Lori Lightfoot, and, and nationally speaking, I think yes. And, the, and what is the evidence we can look at? We can cite the 2018 midterms. When you look at the diversity, how many first woman, this first this and that? Lori Lightfoot is the first African um, female African American mayor of the city. She's also LGBTQ um, or you know part of that community. Uh, you look at uh, our Democratic candidates for president. We we have uh, Cory Booker. We have Kamala Harris. We have Pete. Budajets, right? Budajets, right. So we have we have a party that yeah. is more representative of what the country looks like and is heading in that direction. This country is getting more brown uh, by by the decade, and it's going to be a majority minority population soon. Nothing can 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 prevent that, and I think it's great that again we we're beginning to see government that begins to reflect that. So yeah, I don't I don't think it's an, an anomaly or a one off. I definitely think it's part of a grander movement.
3: All right. Well, before I let you go, I have to ask you uh sort of dub, picking up on the theme you lay uh you just laid out there Atiba, uh, about the new the latest uh, candidate running for uh, the nomination and that would be uh bill de blasio mayor of new york city a very interesting background that he has i followed his campaign very closely when he first ran he's married he's a white man married to a black woman a woman who used to be well i don't know what her sexual preference was, but she used to be openly uh, gay. Uh, and uh, he was, when they first was uh, were elected, uh, he was like sending out a message, like a very diverse background, a very diverse family, very open-minded, tolerant family. Uh, I'm speaking for myself, Was not particularly pleased with some of the decisions he made as mayor of New York City. Uh, how do you view his campaign? How do you view his chances of winning? That kind of thing.
0: It's a rough start, um, mainly because when you look at the uh, Electoral College, New York in and of itself, I think, is probably has the second most votes. Uh, I think it's California, then New York and then Illinois. And when he's coming from a state that he is not beloved at all. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> mildly, <laughs> um, right. Putting it mildly, I think I think that that makes it very difficult for him going forward. Um, Any time that we've seen senators or you know representatives from states run for a president, and then in the primaries if they don't win their state, mm-hmm. it's pretty much over. Like we saw that with Rubio when he didn't win Florida, that was effectively the end of his campaign. Uh, so if he can't win New York, I think that's the end of it.
1: Well, let's remember that Donald Trump didn't win New York. He he posted he tweeted the other day about De Blasio, and I t- and I responded on his tweet a screenshot of the of the uh, <laughs> of the New York uh, presidential vote total that showed that he lost by two million votes. So, uh, I, no, de Blasio is not the right person for this time, despite his his uh, diverse family. I, I don't think I think people are too savvy in the 20 in 2020 in 2019 and and they're too savvy to make decisions about who they're going to let lead the free world based on their family dynamics uh,
3: my next guest stephanie zimmerman has entered the room she wrote a you pay more great uh investigative story i'm showing the little viewers this uh in the sun times and uh, we'll be talking about that uh when we come back for break but before i let you guys go one last question A local question with national implications. Your thoughts about Mayor Rahm's legacy as he uh, drives off into (laughs) the sunset. Unfortunately, I think he's not going anywhere. But anyway, uh, your thoughts about Rahm's legacy.
0: Very quickly, uh, I thought he was, unfortunately, an ineffective mayor. I thought he was an effective mayor for the parts of Chicago that he wanted to be effective in. The Gold Coast, downtown, um, those types of areas. Uh, But he left left the other undesirable areas... um, he he left them hanging, he left them wanting, and he left them lacking. And I think people will always remember him for the rejuvenation that he kind of gave to downtown and the and the Gold Coast, but also remember him uh, for the neglect that he gave to the city's south and west side.
1: The same the same response. I have family that lives on the west side of Chicago, in the North Lawndale area, and if you took a picture of their home ten years ago and took a picture of their home today. And I put those two pictures in front of you or or the picture of their block or the picture of their neighborhood. You wouldn't be able to tell me which one which one was 10 years ago and which one was today. So that speaks to his priorities. Uh, but you could, but you know that's not a surprise. He came, he came directly from Washington D.C., having served under uh, President Obama. He had that nationally minded, that national mindset coming out of D.C., and he came to Chicago looking to make some macro changes. Uh, unfortunately, he didn't. He wasn't intimately involved enough with Chicago to prioritize and perhaps even identify the micro changes that needed to be made to improve the city.
3: All right, that's David Seaton, uh, Atiba Buchanan, also in the studio, gentlemen. Uh, give folks uh, information where they can find your podcast, the name of your podcast, if they want to hear more of your political discussion.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we're on Intellectual Radio. Uh, Humanity in the Headlines is the name of the show, intellectualradio.com. Um, you can catch us on Saturdays at 1 o'clock, or you can uh, go to YouTube and Google just Google Humani- Humanity in the Headlines and Goodness, 50, 75 Three shows, years will come. right? Worth of shows there. <laughs> so, tons of shows on just about every topic you can imagine there, and uh, enjoy them because they're they're all good.
3: Well, I really enjoyed talking politics with you. Uh, you know that. Same deep, here, man. And, Thank uh, you for having us. And David, bring you in the mix as well. We have a regular, uh, we call a bonus feature on Sundays where we talk national politics. We just had uh, David Ferris, Roosevelt University political science professor. I encourage everybody to check it out. We take a deep dive in the issues. I'd love to bring you on for that uh, special bonus. Take the deep dive. On oh, all, to all these candidates, let's That'd go through it one by one, and then help people sort of make sense yes. of the madness. You're up for that? We're definitely up for that. All right, very good. Uh, Tebo Buchanan, David Seaton, thank you very much. Stephanie Zimmerman, getting ready to step up. She's got a great story. You pay more. We'll talk all about it when we return.
2: Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago culture. Today's Ben Jaromsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Discover the breadth and majesty of Chicago's architecture on a Chicago Architecture Center bus tour. From bungalows to Bauhaus, our expert docents will share the fascinating stories behind our city's architecture. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a bus tour right now. Oh, my, look at that wonderful piece of architecture.
5: Cirque du Soleil's Big Top comes back to Chicago with its latest show, Volta. Venture into a captivating voyage of discovery inspired by the adventurous spirit of freedom where a surge of action sparks a high-voltage journey. Volta, playing May 18th through July 6th under the Big Top at Soldier Field. Tickets at CirqueDuSoleil.com. Volta thanks their partners, Hennessy Black and Champagne, Nicolas Fayette.
3: Hey, everybody, what you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. With Chopin, as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to JeffManuelPianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you people J E F F. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U E L P I A N I S T dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel.
2: Boy, Ben loves that song. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show is moments away, but before we get into that, we would like to thank the following unions once again for bringing back the Ben Jarofsky show. First up, the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. Thank you once again to those unions for jumping on board and bringing back the Ben Jarofsky show. And of course, today's program is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two, let's go. It is Tuesday, May 21st, and live from the Chicago Sun Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, we welcome Stephanie Zimmerman of the Chicago Sun Times. And it's host of the Fight Podcast, Sergio Vicente. And now your host, not host of the Fight Podcast. <laughs> That'd be a horrible podcast. Uh, this one, <laughs> more politics. Yeah. Chicago Eater columnist Ben
3: Drowski. Yes, indeed. Although I could talk boxing all day and all night, uh, Stephanie Zimmerman in the studio with me. Good driving record might not be enough man, this thing was a great investigation. I kept the paper. because, Folks, I still read newspapers. Stephanie's like, come on, Ben, get hip, get modern. It's on the internet. But I still read newspapers. All right? Uh, we're going to bring Stephanie on and talk about uh, the insurance racket and what a racket it is uh, when you want to you get some uh, car insurance. Everybody needs auto insurance, but apparently it's not fair about how they figure out how much you pay for it, so we'll talk about that. Also may ask her a question about Amazon. She wrote another story about Amazon and uh, the way way they pack their boxes with junk that fill. I don't know where they put the junk, but it's not um, we're destroying our planet, people. It's not helping in the fight to save our planet. So we'll have all that conversation with Stephanie Zimmerman, consumer investigations reporter for my beloved Bright One. But before we get to that, D, you got an update for
2: me? And we'll add that to the list of problems you have with Amazon.
5: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah Laurie, it's a growing list. Not a fan, <laughs> all right?
2: You won't see him ordering anything anytime soon. Never. Yes, people. Lori Lightfoot is the mayor of Chicago, and right now we have a Benny J bonus in interview For you to download that's related to it, of course, after today's program, right now at both Chicago Reader and Chicago Sun Times websites, Chicago.SunTimes.com, Slash Jarovsky, and ChicagoReader.com. Ben talked one on one. On one with two of the people, two of the people pulling the strings behind the scenes of the Lori Lightfoot campaign, they were there essentially from the beginning. Political strategist Joanna Klonsky and pollster Jason McGrath. Find out how Lori Lightfoot went from who to oh yeah her Lori in this exclusive Ben Jarofsky show bonus interview. Ben, tell us about your talk with Joanna and Jason. I, that was great. First of all, I love them. I love guests who love to talk,
3: and they love to talk, and uh, so they gave a lot of insights uh, about. Uh, yeah, you said it so well. She was who? Uh, she was at 3% in the polls. And uh, how she emerged with, I think, what, 17% to win that first round. And then, of course, after that, it was gravy. Because it would be pretty clear that the city of Chicago was going to elect her, not Tony Perkwinkle, almost from the outset. It could have been like, it was like the Portland Trailblazer uh, Golden War, uh, Golden State Warriors series. Just Why even have it? Okay, you know, four-game sweep. Anyway, uh, I urge everybody, if you're a political junkie, you want to know how it went down uh, to listen to that. They get a little some insights about uh, some of the challenges they were facing in that first round, that first round where they had to emerge from the pack. There were 14 people. And also the challenges of running when nobody knows the name, you don't have a lot of money, you're up against well-known people. Uh, So good stuff from Joanna and Jason.
2: A very enlightening interview. Go download it after. You listen to today's After. show, all right? After. We got today's show to worry about. Yes. It's a fantastic show, all right? Yes. Don't leave. Uh, so, with Lightfoot taking office, we now have a mayor for hire. And Ben, we've joked about this for the longest time with Mayor Rahm leaving office. Mm. Exactly how long will it take until he winds up being a political talking head on TV? One day. <laughs> Literally one day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. According to the Daily Beast, Rahm Emanuel has taken a job with ABC. He is joining the network as a political contributor. One source familiar with the situation told the Daily Beast that the ex-mayor will be appearing on shows like Good Morning America. Oh, get ready, Ben. As a political analyst.
3: Yeah, we knew was coming. We. Uh, he was. He spent the last uh, what was it uh, s- three months, s- sort of uh, trying out his uh, voice, and uh, he just wrote another essay for the Atlantic. In addition, he writes essays for the Atlantic. Shame on the Atlantic for printing these things. Uh, this this current one is about uh, chastising the Democrats for being the party of the elites. The man is utterly shameless. He spent eight years as Mayor 1%. He earned that nickname the hard way by me being the mayor for the 1%. Uh, everybody in the city of Chicago, not everybody, there are some people, my beloved friend Tom McNamee. Everybody in the city of Chicago. Hey, <laughs> a lot of people in the city of Chicago were so sick of his game and couldn't wait for him to get out and what he has done, I give him credit for this, he's very skillful, he's very shameless, uh, It's he's very willful. He is just completely rewriting history eradicating everything he did as mayor of the city of Chicago in terms of closing schools, in terms of closing mental health clinics, in terms of sending our property tax dollars to developers. How he could talk about the Democratic Party turning, becoming the party of the elite, as so though he's lecturing the party. He just got finished strong-arming the city council into a passing over $2 billion worth of handouts to developers to build an upscale neighborhood. How the same person who could so shamelessly give our tax dollars to the wealthy, turn around and chastise Democrats for not doing more for the poor and the middle middle class. I just find it just breathtaking. So I'm sure he's going to be a huge success, and I'm going to have a field day pointing out To whoever listens,
2: that whatever he says bears no relationship to what he did. We posted the Daily Beast article on our Facebook page, at Benny J Show. Go check it out. While you're there, give us a like, follow, share, review. Tell us you don't like the show. Whatever you want to do, it's fine. At Benny J Show. All right, very good. Thank you,
3: Dr. D. Stephanie Zimmerman, welcome to the show.
6: Hey, thanks for having me.
3: And uh, this is a great story. I know it appeared online, so it's online. It's also in the newspaper. And good driving record might not be enough. Uh, gender, employment, and zip can drive car insurance costs, a Sun Times investigation found. So let's talk a little about, just in, in general, uh, what were your findings? Break it down a little bit.
6: Okay, so I was really curious kind of what goes into car insurance, how they figure out your price. And it's something that's very opaque, like you wouldn't necessarily know like what your neighbor was paying for car insurance. So what I decided to do was what they tell us all to do in their advertisements, which is go online and get a fast free quote. And I did it over 300 times, which was, you know, a pain, (laughs) something not a normal consumer would do. Um, But I created a Uh, sort of a scheme of of what this person is. So this person is 38 years old, they're single, they drive a 2012 Ford Taurus SE, and they drive about 10,000 miles a year. And they have a perfect driving record, so no tickets, no violations, they're a good driver. And then what I did was start tweaking different variables, so I made this person be a man and be a woman, um, or be a renter and be a homeowner, or be a college educated teacher or a retail worker with a high school education and just kind of played around and I was picking addresses on the same block or no more than one block apart. Usually they were on the same block. So in some cases I'm I'm and I went on Zillow. So I found like comparable housing. So they're both in single family houses about the same size. So you've got a man and a woman living next door to each other and you can start to see in a broad sense, what is happening with these car insurance companies? And not all of them do it, but many, many do. So um, you basically just ask, you know, what do what do you charge for basic insurance? And you could start to see differences of hundreds of dollars a year, just because you're a woman and and this guy you know the guy your neighbor could be living two doors down from you and you're both driving a 2012 Ford Taurus and you both have a perfect record and you're both working as teachers and you both own your homes and the guy is paying up to $370 less a year wow. um, and it's really interesting because some states have decided that that's not something that's fair and seven states have outlawed this so uh,
3: 370 less a year did you say
6: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they give you when they give you uh, an insurance quote online, Mm -hmm. they'll do it either on a monthly basis or a six month basis. So I just annualized that and made it made it a year. Okay. Um, and, and they do, and one caveat, so these are price quotes because they all say on their websites that your real price will be based partly on your credit history. Every single company says this. So they all take into account your credit history, which is a whole other topic. Like that's a whole other thing that a lot of consumer groups say is unfair and penalizes people who might be low income or might have other financial struggles, but still be a good driver. And these are these are non-driving characteristics. This has nothing to do with whether you've had access accidents or um, moving violations or anything like that. So they do say that they take into account credit history, but you can still see these broad kind of ways in which things like gender, homeownership, education, occupation, they're kind of baked into the formula to begin with because I'm testing these people that have like zero credit history. You know, that's blank, okay, Mm -hmm. on the ones I'm doing because I don't have real social security numbers. Um, But you could still see these differences coming out. Like why would a renter who's living like right on the same block as the homeowner, they are driving the same car. And in those cases, same car, same job, same education, same gender. Mm -hmm. And just because you rent, you're paying more for your car insurance.
3: All right, let's deal with these biases that are baked into the the system. As you say, it's a very good way of putting it. They're baked in the system. Let's start with the first one, gender. Other than just uh, misogyny, Uh, hatred of women, uh, other than just rank discrimination, uh, what even remotely legitimate reason could an insurance company have for charging women more for car insurance than charging men?
6: Right. So when you talk to the car insurance um, industry people, right, they're all of their data and stuff like that. They keep a lot of this secret. It's like their trade secrets. But when you talk to the industry people, they say we don't discriminate. They say we have we look at our book of business in in, in the territory, which is usually a zip code, and we look at all these tons of factors hundreds of different factors and that's how and losses and claims and all this and this is how we determine uh the rates that we are going to set so they say that it's just numbers and it's gender blind it's color blind and everything else um and in and you know if you've had teenagers um when people are young it goes the other way like a young driver a young, just beginning driver, um, a male will oftentimes get charged more than a young female. But after that, it it goes way in the favor of the How, males.
3: Is there an age where you could see the pattern? So, for instance, like, okay, an 18-year-old man pays more than an 18-year-old woman uh, is there an age when you certainly see, oh, the, the women are paying more?
6: Well, you would start to see that if you... <laughs> if you I mean, I did 300 tests with a 38-year-old. Yeah. You would have to do that with every single age. It would take you years to do, but um, Consumer Federation of America did their own studies. They've studied this for over a decade, and they've looked at 40-year-olds and 60-year-olds, and those women are definitely getting uh, discriminated against price-wise when California California just took gender out of it as of January 1st, it's a brand new law in California. They joined six other states in, in taking gender out of the equation, just like they it's already illegal to discriminate based solely on race, ethnicity, religion. So these seven states have, have added gender to that and said, this is just not fair. When they looked at it, their insurance commissioner said that he could not find any statistical validity, that it, the statistical you know, whatever reason for it was suspect. So, it's,
3: so in it's other a, words, in, in your humble opinion, it's just rank discrimination.
6: Well, it just, it does seem unfair. You know, um, it's an, it's not a, it's not a, anything related to your driving. Your yeah. gender is something that you can't control. Just like your race, ethnicity, uh, those other factors that society has said We're not going to allow insurance companies to say, I'm going to charge white people one price and black people another price. Mm. That's actually illegal. And the insurance companies will say, we don't do that. We're not allowed to do that. Now, there's a lot of discussion among consumer groups about whether some of these other things like credit history could be a proxy for income or whatever, trying to find populations that way. But. These seven states that have banned it, they've decided that gender should be added to that list of things that are not fair. Well,
3: it's really weird because insurance geeks that I uh, have talked to over the years have tried to impress upon me what you were saying is that it is a completely objective uh, industry, that there's these actuarial studies that that they... Determine where they feed information into a computer. So the number of women who get into accidents, as compared to the number of men who get into accidents, has determined that women are at greater risk. That was what they would tell me. I have never, in my world, even though there's this uh, this prejudice that women are not as good drivers as men, I've not seen any evidence of that. My wife is a way better driver than I am. Okay, that's just one family, but so I. Again, it's it's just like it just seems as though they're 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 getting away with it. So they are getting away with it, and that's there's no other reason other than that. Uh, then we get to the issue of race. Uh, now, when you fed your information uh, in, into the the computers here, you did not they never ever asked you for the race
6: correct of no no they're not allowed to ask for the race but they asked for the zip code Aha! so uh, <laughs> and that was really interesting like i was looking on either side of various zip code lines around the city and just for example 60612 which is pretty close to here the to the west loop it's just it's east garfield park but it's um, a rapidly gentrifying area uh-huh. 60612 and then Kedzie is the line between 60612 and 60624 60624 is also in East Garfield Park but it continues west into the west side okay. um, and there the racial makeup of those two zip codes is pretty different the the east half of it is gentrifying it's drawing more white uh, residents and when you look at the you know the price quotes there were, You know, it's like 100, Mm -hmm. 100, 150, I forget what it was, uh, depending on which company you're looking at. But there were three different companies that were charging over 100 bucks more just for living on the other side of Kedzie. And we're talking about. We are talking about the 3100 block of a street called Walnut on the west side it's near Lake Street 3100 block and the 3200 block you could literally stand on the 3100 block and pick up a rock and throw it and hit a house on the other side of Kenzie and that the person there if they have all the same characteristics there you know we were with that with that comparison we're making them both be female they both are teachers they both are homeowners And, of course, in every test, they're all 38 years old, single, and drive the 2012 Ford Taurus. But why is the one in the blacker zip code paying an extra hundred bucks? I mean, it's just stuff like that. And then the really interesting thing is that when you start to pile on a number of these characteristics, so you make the person be female, and they're a renter, and they didn't go to college compared to a male who owns his home and did go to college, the difference could be 600, over 600 bucks. Yeah. And yeah. that's a lot of money. And and I think the, the argument against that kind of like slicing and dicing people is that you are taking somebody who might be sort of at a financial disadvantage and you're just piling on one more burden. You know, here's an extra 600 bucks just because you're poor.
3: Back in the day, we called it redlining. And that's where uh, it, that had to deal with getting a, a mortgage. Uh, and how much you paid for the mortgage, and if you lived within a certain area, which was usually demarcated with a red line—hence the name, redlining—then uh, you would pay a high, You either couldn't get the mortgage, or you would pay at a much higher rate, or what have you. I, um, I when I talk again uh, to uh, people in the insurance industry. Uh, we've, we've already dispelled the notion for instance, okay, starting that there's no reason why uh, women should pay more than men. If you're not basing it on a study that shows women are at greater risk as drivers then it's just rank discrimination. Someone should file a lawsuit, in my humble opinion. Now, get down to address. They always go, Ben, you don't understand. Insurance <laughs> people. You don't understand. It's, it's dangerous. Uh, it's more of a liability if we're in a high crime area because the car could get smashed into. Somebody could break the window, steal the, the the radio etc cetera, etc. Cetera. that's why we charge it's got nothing to do with race bad all right stop causing trouble that's what they always tell me Stephanie now can't I don't buy that okay and your story really proves that when you show like one literally one block to the next I it can't be a distinction do you think we can mandate uh, an n to this discrimination based on zip code, or do you think that that location, the distinction in rates for location, is something that the insurance companies could justify uh, in court?
6: Okay, so one thing with what you said, a lot the, everybody I talked to about this story, like friends I'm talking to, I'm working on this story. Everybody said, "Oh, well, if you live in a rough neighborhood, you should pay more for your car insurance." But in these tests, I did not include comprehensive car insurance that's what covers car break-ins and thefts and all that stuff vandalism i was just looking for quotes on bodily injury and property damage just a liability insurance which it's important to point out is required by the state in order to be able to drive to get to work or get to school so here's the state telling you you need to buy this good or service um you need to buy insurance otherwise you could get a big ticket for not driving without insurance right so i didn't even i didn't even look at comprehensive so i wanted to purposely take that out of the discussion so that we couldn't be saying oh you know you're more likely to get your car broken into although in lincoln park there's a lot of car thefts, so you know that's a whole other discussion but i didn't look at that Mm -hmm. um the car insurance industry says that they need to use zip codes because that's just how they organize like their territories and I get that you know they have to have a way to organize things I suppose Um, they, they say and this is interesting they say that they're all of these rates, you know, just like you mentioned earlier, it's all based on statistics, it's colorblind, it's blind. it's just like what the numbers show us within a certain territory or zip code, what our losses were, right? So that's what they say, and they say that if you start removing factors, they say if you overregulate, this is just their position, if you start removing factors, like you take out gender, or you take out um, home ownership out of the equation, or you take out credit history, three states have banned credit history from being used so they say the more you take out the less valid the data becomes because it's been stripped of all of these you know things these points i think the argument on the other side and and this is what the consumer advocacy groups would say is that as a society we can decide whether something is just not fair that's why we take race out of it that's why we take religion out of it or you know ethnicity factors like that, I think that is the argument for taking gender out of it. Just that we as a society have decided that this isn't fair because it's going to penalize a, a large population of female drivers that are good drivers. Mm-hmm.
3: Oh, absolutely. I don't know how they can claim their studies and their actuarial terriers are val- tables are valid if they automatically charge women more than men. I'm looking for the study that says w- that women drivers are a greater risk than men drivers. I have to see that study, that actuarial study by the geeks who run the computers for these insurance companies that has to, before I could justify. Just randomly charging Leah more than Sergio, uh, who's my next guest, for car insurance.
6: Right, and and the other interesting thing is that not all the companies in my test did that. You know, for example, State Farm. In all of the quotes that I did, State Farm did not. They asked me what my gender was, but they did not use that against me if I was testing as a female. So that tells me that it doesn't have to be done. You know, I think State Farm probably relies more heavily on credit history you know, so there's that, that's a whole other topic, but not every single company does it. So that kind of tells you, well, they can choose to do it or not, Mm -hmm. you know, so that's kind of interesting too.
3: Are there any insurance companies that were worse than others in uh, that your study showed?
6: Well, that's hard to say because I wasn't able to test for their reliance on credit history because I didn't have actual social security numbers. I'm, you know, I, I'm generating sort of you know, fictional driver applicants that are different genders or homeowners or renters or whatever, but I didn't have social security numbers. So it's hard for me to say, um, you know, like in the test farmers was often the one that charged more for being female or renting or whatnot. Um, Farmers came up again and again and Geico was, uh, you know, a ways behind them, but Geico would be second place. But You know, who knows, after we put in credit history, you might find that there's another company who is doing something else of over-reliance on credit history. Because there's a whole other argument to be made for whether you're late paying your electric bill, maybe you're struggling financially, Mm -hmm. and you were late paying your ComEd bill, and now you're going to get charged for more for your car insurance, which has no seeming relationship You know, I think the car insurance industry will say, well, if you're, you know, people who are more likely to be late paying their electric bill are people who are more likely to be in an accident. But I think there's a fairness question to be raised about whether you're kind of kicking people while they're down. Mm -hmm. You know, people who have financial uh, markers of more low income people.
3: Now I have to ask you this. Uh, there's a, a sidebar to your story. How to lower your premium? Uh, are people as defenseless uh, as you know your your made-up uh, applicant? You know, the, you made up a person on 300k. Dang, Stephanie, that was a lot of... you. Let's Can we give Stephanie credit? 300? Uh, how many did you do? Yeah, it
6: was over 300. It was a pain. It was horrible. Hey, give her a raise
3: sometimes. <laughs> 300, all right? Yeah, that's a lot of feeding to a computer. But, uh, you know, uh, you were the person, your little models, that the 300 were just, of course, not real people. You were just feeding somebody to a computer, uh, and they just had to take whatever the insurance company offered. What could a real living human being, a real living Stephanie as do to get a lower rate?
6: Yeah, you know what? the The biggest thing I learned was you got to shop around. There was huge variability um, between even at the same address. Looking at seven different companies, there was a huge difference in prices. Some companies were offering lower coverage at a higher price. So definitely take the time and shop around. Another thing that I've heard is that um, sometimes your loyalty to any one company will be rewarded with a higher rate, and that happened to our mm-hmm. family. We ended up switching because. Is we'd stuck with one company so long they thought we were suckers and they could just kept raising the rates and then you know all yeah, no, that happens. Th- there is there is uh, there is some thought that these in- insurance companies some of them are testing kind of your the elasticity of like how likely are you to just sit and take a price increase so sometimes being loyal is actually not a good thing. I would shop around definitely take advantage of any kind of discounts you can save a little bit of money by bundling um, you can also save money if you belong to like a union, or some other association, uh, look for discounts there. The, you know, there's things that you can do. Another interesting thing is is this um, these new devices. Well, they're not even that new. Snapshot by Progressive, DriveWise, you know, track. A bunch of these companies have these telematic devices that you can either put in your car, or it's an app on your phone or on your OnStar, and it will track like whether you speed a lot, whether you hard brake a lot, whether you make a lot of left turns. Oh my God! And if you're really? a, well, I know that's kind of crazy God too, God. right? But but uh, you can save money yeah. if you're a safe driver. The only thing to consider, and it's a big thing to consider, is how much privacy are you willing yeah. to give up? Because uh, you know what are they ultimately someday going to be tracking? Are they going to be tracking whether you drive to the casino a Absolutely. lot or whatever?
3: Yeah, you know, <laughs> going to the casino. Oh, there goes that
6: <laughs> that rate. Right. Uh,
3: Ben's at the casino again. He's and at he the was
6: track. speeding. Yeah.
3: No, 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 I'm not letting anybody track me when I'm driving. But uh, you get that phone and start arguing with your insurance agent that's usually the best way to get a lower rate but then you know you gotta you gotta find your inner rom you know what i'm saying you gotta <laughs> find your little uh, i'm i'm right you're wrong i'm smart you're stupid i'll tell you what you can learn a lot from rom uh all right now before i let you go on before i bring sergio on uh, just briefly tell folks, I thought it was a fascinating story that you did. I, I, I When we when I booked you to come on the show, we are going to talk about uh, this good driving record. But then I saw that article that you wrote in the Sun-Times about Amazon and packaging and all the recycling implications. Tell folks a little bit about
6: yeah, that. Yeah, real quick. That was the story I did with ABC7, Jason Knowles. He had been collecting for months these videos of items that he ordered. He does a lot of online shopping. And he did all, he did all these unpacking videos where you would open this giant box. Box, and there would be this tiny little thing like a package of razors or coffee pods or something. And it's just like jammed in with bubble wrap and in a giant box. And uh, God is kind of thinking, what is the environmental implication of all of that packaging? And it's kind of a mixed bag because on the one hand, we are getting a lot of boxes into our houses and. Um, and delivery trucks are having to drive all over the city delivering this stuff. But on the other hand, we're not driving to the stores, so we're reducing our carbon footprint by shopping online. It's kind of a mixed bag. Um, a promising note is that the industry seems to have gotten the message a little bit. They've been hearing consumer complaints, and they're trying to right-size things. Come, you know, They're trying to come up with boxes that are uh, more fitting the item that's being shipped. Amazon says that they're working on like environmental environment, uh, environmentally, environmentally conscious um, paper, like pouches rather than the plastic. But, you know, all of this stuff, all of the recycling stuff has been thrown into disarray by China saying they're not going to take U.S. recycling because we have dirty foreign trash. Um, you know, so there's that whole thing. So right now, uh, the state of recycling in the U- U.S. is kind of sad. By
3: the way, we will be having a larger discussion with this. Mike Novak will be coming in uh, later in the week. Uh, he's passionate about recycling. I'm just going to say this in closing. This points out one of the great hypocrisies. I love millennials, okay? I love them to death. Okay, Many millennials in my, in my life. Even Je- I know a few Gen X who falls into this. They don't buy newspapers, all right? That's Stephanie. Uh, and I go, why don't you buy a newspaper? Oh, Ben it's the footprint they always talk about the footprint it it's paper and it gets recycled i i i read on my phone you know and i always say Man, you don't care about the environment. You're just cheap. It's free on the phone. I mean, and you got there went our millennial <laughs> listeners. They just, just tuned up. I just always <laughs> have the Man, you guys are so cheap. It's the cheapest generation I've ever seen. And uh, but that just proves my point. Someone will go, "Oh, Ben, I read on the phone because I don't want the newspaper." Be the first person to order from Amazon. They get a razor blade <laughs> with about a. Oh, what about the environmental footprint? Oh, ben, you don't understand. I love Amazon. Anyway, Stephanie, you just proved my point there all right stephanie zimmerman is her game her name and her game is investigative journalism she's a great consumer affairs reporter i think we're going to have you back on a regular basis talking about these issues all right
6: great i'd love to come back
3: all right very good sergio vicente is on deck we're going to bring him on when we return
2: Today's Ben Jaromsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. See the city from a whole new angle on a Chicago Architecture Center tour. With more than 85 tours to choose from, there are endless stories to discover. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm on a tour. Oh, my, what magnificent architecture. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarovsky, The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Today's Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you in part by Green Element Resale. It's a thrift shop located at 6241 North Broadway in Chicago, and it's uh, badass furniture, appliances, lamps, books, clothes, electronics. Guys, it's a thrift shop, but... It's the only thrift shop in Chicago that helps bring you the Ben Jarofsky show. That's right. So if you're ever on Broadway between Granville and Devon, tell them thank you. And go check out Green Element Resale, 6241 North Broadway, and find more information at greenelementresale.com. Now this next part may sound a bit biased
5: because they're sponsors, but it's the best thrift shop in the world. Cirque du Soleil's Big Top comes back to Chicago with its latest show, Volta. Venture into a captivating voyage of discovery inspired by the adventurous spirit of freedom where a surge of action sparks a high-voltage journey. Volta, playing May 18th through July 6th under the Big Top at Soldier Field. Tickets at CirqueDuSoleil.com. Volta thanks their partners, Hennessy Black and Champagne, Nicola Fayette.
2: commercial break over welcome back to the ben jarofsky
3: show yes indeed we are back we're live sergio vicente uh is my guest in the studio he is the host of the fight podcast i've known sergio for a long long time uh he's young i'm old but when i met him he was really young we'll get into all that D, you
2: got an update for us before we go to sergio uh, just go check out the uh, article posted on our facebook page at benny j show mayor ram Accepted a job at ABC. Ben's pumped about it. Can't wait <laughs> to see him on his television.
3: I knew it was going to happen, man. The guy's a natural, you know, and uh, he's going to be a big superstar in the media, make a lot of money. He's the
2: man. He's the myth, the legend. But I'm not going to let it get him it was, away with rewriting history. All right. It's just funny because we joke about how long till he becomes in a commentator. Yeah, one day. <laughs> one day. Literally
5: <laughs> was, one day. He cut that deal.
2: My goodness. A few of you have went on the uh, Facebook page and weighed in uh, uh, with your thoughts to this here. Uh, it says here once again: ABC News uh, has hired Bob Emanuel as a contributor. Our friend AJ says, "A contributor of what? <laughs> Nonsense. <laughs> he will nothing more than a ma- he's nothing more than a mouthpiece uh, mouthpiece for the Democrats on a major network." Jennifer says, "Let's hope this keeps him from ever running for another office." <laughs> yeah, good point, Jennifer. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, Donald says, "Great, another anti-Progressive shill for the wealthy employed by corporate media." Oh, you and Donald should hang out sometime in that one. All right. Deborah says, this comes as no surprise to me. Devin said, the rumors were flying. Steve says, what a joke. Uh, Martise says, oh God, no, no. Oh God, no. (laughs) I like, I think Julie wins a comment of the day here. Ugh, just go away, dude. (laughs) (laughs) But Uh, I want to, I want to ask, I want to read Jason's comment here. Uh, Ben, defend yourself. Okay. Uh, Jason puts, Ben hates ROM so much. He doesn't think he should work again. (laughs) Is that true? Oh, I hate the guy, man. He's
3: giving me a lot of material. I love Rahm. Come on, Jason. That's so, No, that's not how I view it. I view it this way. Uh, Rahm Emanuel is, uh, how do I put this? He's a role model for children in this regard. I've said this many times. If you really want to get ahead in the world, you should be uh, consider being utterly willful, shameless, uh, determined to get what you want. Unafraid to roll, drive over the person who's in front of you—that's secret to success. We're going to talk to Sergio about that. Some of the traits that Rom's has displayed uh, by clawing his way to the top—of course, he started on second base or third base, so it's not like he, you know, was that had a huge disadvantage. But uh, some of those traits will get you far in, like, in the world of kickboxing or the world of mixed martial arts or the world of boxing. All right. Now, if you're going to be uh, compassionate, objective, uh, analytical. Uh, mayor of the city of Chicago that is trying to fairly and equitably distribute goods and services to the people who most need them. I'm not sure those traits will get you very far. And they certainly didn't get the city of Chicago very far during Rahm's watch. He was very much, in my humble opinion, he very much earned the reputation that he had as mayor 1%. And he cared mostly about the well-to-do. And he uh, cut programs that would help the poor he closed mental health clinics he closed schools he gave TIF dollars to gentrifying areas that's that's indisputable what he's tried to do in the last year is completely rewrite his history so i don't begrudge him going on and making money and building his brand and being the media superstar that he's clearly meant to be i just don't want him to get away with rewriting history is that fair enough
7: Thank you, Chicago, for this humbling victory. All I can say, you sure know how to make a guy feel at home. Uh,
2: that, He's going to miss him, guys. Uh, He's no. going to miss him. <laughs> that's, what, that's what he said to ABC. You
7: sure know how to
3: make a guy feel at home. Take a chill pill, man. <laughs> Mayor Rahm, man. I was there yesterday. I saw it with my own eyes. Voluntarily left the stage cut a deal with ABC. Probably had his brother negotiated. All right, Sergio Vicente is my guest. Sergio, what's your thoughts of Mayor Rahm as he uh, heads
7: he off into the He is the... Fun? The best way I could actually explain it is um, for MMA fans, for instance, he's Dana White. He's the Screw Dana that. White of, you know, of Chicago. He runs it the exact same way. He bullies himself around, and he gets a lot of advice from Rahm's brother. That's yeah. who's Dana White's business partner is as well. Dana and the UFC were sold to WME, ING, whatever that they're called over there. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, and it's a very, very similar attitude. It's a very... It's me, oh, you think it's somebody else? No, 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 it's your fault, it's not my fault. Yeah. And it's a very similar type of vibe. And you can see those people kind of blend together. Yeah. They all seem to hang out. So I'm not a fan of Rom. And also, I mean, just for me, I'm somebody who, um, I guess you can say I'm a little bit farther to the left. Okay. Uh, He's extremely establishment, and for me, it's that's just not what we need at this point in time.
3: All right, now uh, explain to people who are not uh, fans of the the fight game who Dana White is and why, what his attributes are, mm-hmm. and how they uh, compare to
7: Mayor Rahm. So, before I sit back and trash, you know, uh, Dana White. Dana White <laughs> is the president of the UFC. He is the individual who a lot of individual people credit for growing the sport. He has gone out there, and he has been the consummate promoter. Mm -hmm. And let's be honest, that's what Rahm is as well. He is the consummate promoter. Of him. Of himself. Yeah. And even if you look at what the UFC is doing now, we're looking at how, because they were just sold by, uh, sold, and they're working now with um, ESPN. If you're looking at all of the ads that are out there, it's not focusing on the fighters. Like Rahm, it wasn't focusing on the city. He's focusing all the highlights and everything is himself. He's looking at himself, all the things. You see my man in his black suit, <laughs> looking like you know King Pen himself. Yeah. And uh, and now he's out there thinking, yeah. you know, he is the star of the show. He believes that he is bigger than the organization or the sport itself. It's my show, none that not anyone else's. Yeah. So, I mean, that's how I can see the comparison of the
3: two. That's just me. All right. No, that is uh, very well put, uh, Sergio Vicente. All right, Sergio, let's just take a little moment before we uh, dive into some of the political issues of the day uh, to introduce you to our listeners. I've known you, as I said, want to say you were about 10. Uh, may, I had around 10. Yeah, no, it, it, it was about 10 years old. Now I think about it, yeah. <laughs> he was about 10. Years, I've known this guy since he was 10 years old. Uh, and oh, it's because his younger brother played on the Little League team that I coached. And Sergio was the older kid who would come <laughs> over to our diamond. And, all right, this is how the game is played, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> At 10 years old, I knew
7: it all. I did. He it knew was it all.
3: <laughs> uh, so you were an athlete in high school in, in uh, talk. talk Introduce yourself to our listeners.
7: Well, oh, of course. Uh, well, my name is Sergio Vicente. Um, I am not only the uh, the host of the Fight Podcast, and we are everywhere on you know all social media platforms at the Fight Podcast. We're also streaming on um, iTunes, SoundCloud, everywhere podcasts are available. Mm-hmm. Um, but for myself, I also am the owner of Sage Eats, we're a healthy meal prep company, so um, I do both of those things. Uh, but the way, especially if we're talking about you know the combat sports, started. Um, competing and training in martial arts as a kid. That was the first sport that my mom put me in. I was a rambunctious child who was bouncing off the walls. (laughs) They were like, maybe he needs ADD. My mom was like, no, maybe he needs to do martial arts. So I was put in martial arts and I have been a fan of the sport, everything from Ninja Turtles to it eventually developed to combat sports, MMA, boxing, kickboxing, and I've been fortunate enough to compete. Well. Depends on how you look at it, but compete in all of those sports. I've competed in MMA, boxing, jiu-jitsu, kickboxing, uh, the whole... Lit now, were you was. ever in the ring and afraid? Did you ever have yeah, fear? Yeah, you're terrified. Uh-huh. The, the moment. I mean, I'll never forget my first um, my first competition. I don't, it sounds a little gladiatory when you are sitting there. It's like, it's my first fight. But yeah. when I was in there, the first time you actually hear like you're in there you're you're hyped up you're like this is cool I'm about to compete and then you hear a cage door close you hear that click clack yeah oh. and you huh. see this other guy looking across from <laughs> you pacing back and forth yeah Next, you start looking at your coach, it's like, wait, wait, wh- who tricked me? Yeah. Like, why am I here? Um, but, um, and, and I'll be honest with you, no matter how many times you do it, it doesn't change. It, it always reminds me of, for instance, George St. Pierre, who a lot of individuals say is the greatest MMA fighter of all time. Mm-hmm. And uh, he is someone who always spoke of how he was terrified prior to every event. And we're talking about the greatest champion of all time. Mm-hmm. Being so honest and open about how he felt going into a match he, he he was almost um to the point that he was sick he'd get so worked up and anxious over and i'm gonna be honest with you i've been there i i, I can relate it is a very nerve-wracking like you,
3: you throw up before a fight
7: i never uh threw up i'm just one of those people that i i get so nervous i get really tired i get really sleepy and 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 like yeah, i'm ready to pass out in the back room until it's like you almost have to wake me up all right time to go warm up and then I'll warm up and I'll get into it. And and, and really, it, it, everyone has their own process. And I, and I and I'll, again, I, I want to always make sure to let everybody know um, I wasn't able to turn pro. I've had a number of amateur fights. I was on the verge of turning pro, but what ended up stopping me from uh, going through that is actually at uh, 26, I, um, I had a testicular cancer. And because of that, I it made me take a couple years off and by that point in time, I realized, hey, you know what? I'd rather talk about it than get punched in the face. Actually, yeah. so uh, well, you know what's it, it ironic? <laughs> it's so
3: ironic that uh, you you had that career because, as I said, I've known uh, Sergio for a long time, and I uh, used to live vicariously through Sergio when he was playing football at his uh, football career. And I remember your last football game as a senior uh, at Evanston High School. E T H S. We will fight for you. And I was sitting with your mom and your dad in the stands watching you play. Uh, and I'm getting chills just thinking about this. When the the uh, the game ended. Mm-hmm. Your mom said, thank God that's over. And she didn't mean literally the game, that individual game. She meant your football career. Right, Because your mom, I was living vicariously. Yeah, Sergio out there, man, hit him. And he was running back punts. Come on, Sergio, don't take the fair catch.
7: Uh, Your mom had a different point of view. Oh, no, she didn't. (laughs) I had to sneak to actually sign up i started playing i think i was almost into halfway through my first year playing football before she even found out that i was playing and i I didn't actually (laughs) Uh play and i'll be honest with you if you think uh football was bad wait till she found out that i was actually competing in 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 mma yeah so uh first day i came home with a black eye it wasn't a good day that
3: much it wasn't (laughs) well that's that's what i'm saying so it's like
7: which is more dangerous football or why explain that um, I, I thoroughly believe, especially in terms of MMA, mm-hmm. and, and don't get me wrong, a lot of the, the, the sport is so new, we don't know. We're still waiting to hear what's going on, and we'll, we're starting to see the ramifications of a lot of the individuals who started. Remember, the UFC didn't start till 1993. Mm-hmm. So yes, they had Valley Tudo, they had you know shoot the box, and they had all these other type of sports and organizations, but it wasn't classified as MMA. And then, it, it, especially if you remember in 93 when, it, when the UFC first came out, it was called No Holds Barred. Yeah. So everybody was waiting for No Holds Barred and things like that. So we really don't know the ramifications, but if we look at it and people have said, and I'm throwing up air quotes because people yeah. say scientifically, right? We're on the air so they can yeah, see the it, air It's quotes. okay, scientifically, There <laughs> yeah, we got it. Um, but um, people believe that specific, because MMA, we're not taking, you it, it, rarely take straight headshots. A lot of, the the majority of the sport is actually on the ground. So guys aren't getting just blasted. For instance, like football, for instance, every – look at linemen. Every movement is constant contact. Mm -hmm. And it's the small shots. It's never the big KO shots. It's never the big ones where you're seeing the, the receiver get lit up on the back end. It's never that. What it is is all the small, the constant, yeah. the practices, the constant little, you know, shots, and that's what people end up getting CTE and other degenerative issues of. But MMA, you don't have that same type of constant punishment because the sport actually varies in so. Well, when you regard-
3: get the guy, when you get your opponent down. You can pummel that opponent.
7: That's it. Looks a lot worse than it is. <laughs> it looks pretty bad. And, and I'm, and I'm being, honest yeah. with you, being somebody that's been in that in that position. You've been on the ground. Looking, so I've, much been, the I've been on the. have been in both of those positions. Aren't they allowed just to hit your head repeatedly? It's so think about this. It's in just like boxing in terms of I can hit everybody. You can't hit the crown. So anything behind the head, on top of the head, behind the head, behind the ear, you can't do. But obviously in the face or anything like that, yes, I can end up hitting. Um, so
3: the prevention of the concussion is keep. It, if you hit me in the face, it won't give me a concussion.
7: Well, here's the thing, you, you're going to get people get concussions. People might not be as concussed. <laughs> you know, there, there's different yeah. you know levels of, of being concussed. Uh-huh. I don't believe I've been concussed at this point in time, but. Ask me in twenty years how I feel, but yeah. you know. So um, we, I, we truly don't know. But at the end of the day, um, what it seems as if because it's not as many micro aggressions, essentially, it's not as many micro uh, hits. Um, it's not as bad. Football is definitely worse.
3: All right, and uh, well, then then there's the helmet. You use the helmet as a weapon in football.
7: Well, you're, you're, and here's another thing too. Think about this. And if I, if all we're wearing are eight ounce gloves. If you Even if I'm making contact with somebody, I can't use that as a weapon. Mm-hmm. It still hurts. I still feel it. Yeah. So that's another thing. I can't, like, just with shoulder pads and a helmet just spear somebody. That doesn't happen. So, I mean, granted, this weekend, it, it might have looked like that this weekend when Deontay Wilder, the WBC heavyweight champion, the American heavyweight champion, who is now 41-0-1, 41 knockouts oh you do host a podcast and he also has a 952 percent knockouts percentage now yeah. he's somebody now if he hits you ah th- 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 we're talking about something completely different
3: all right now should the um, should our General
7: Assembly here in Illinois
3: uh, should Congress even on the national level just to keep it local should they outlaw tackle football for kids, who are under the age of, let's say, thirteen?
7: Ooh, I, I, I don't know if I'm the person to talk to about that or ask that specifically because I have not watched football for the last three seasons. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I, I don't watch the game. Um, but for you number, played it. I, I have played it, um, but for no reasons, I don't watch or support the game. So for me, I look at it: is it good for a, a young mind that's still developing to get? consistently blasted back and forth no absolutely not it isn't so objectively I can look at it and say no it doesn't seem right but I'm not the one to make that call especially because I don't support the game itself and I I think a lot of people will make assumptions and judging judge a lot of different things and if they don't have any background who are they to even make a conversation Mm -hmm. about it so I, I I haven't played. I didn't play at the the, the top level. Mm-hmm. So for me, I look at it. I, I can't even comment well, on what about uh, uh, boxing?
3: Wh- which What should be the age limit, your humble opinion for boxing or mixed martial
7: arts? To actually start competing, mm-hmm. I, I'll say late teens. Um, training, uh, shoot. I, I'll train a kid four years old yeah. to start competing. but in terms of actually getting solid shots, actually getting really hit. Not until you're late teens, 18, 17, 18. And I know a lot of traditionalists are like, oh, no, you got to start them young. Make make sure they're tough. Yeah. Yo, little kids do not need to get punched in the face in yeah. that manner. It, it doesn't matter. But here's the thing. If they're learned to respect the game, if they're all learned how to 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 know the technique, as well as no technique, they can go out there and also um, – spar in terms of no headshots working the body working on timing working on movement for instance the ties we look at muay thai uh in thailand that's their national sport you see children who are babies competing you see people who are 11 years old who have over 100 fights it's ridiculous but one thing that they do is they never spar hard and what they do is they call it play no headshots work consistently on timing light kicks, you extend like the, at the same speed, but it's at like, right at the point of contact, light tap, mm-hmm. it's all controlling. So that's something that I believe, if, if children are gonna learn how to, to do these combat sports, learn the sport, understand the sport, and if, especially if you're gonna be in terms of MMA, go to jiu-jitsu, Come, jiu-jitsu, I can go, I don't care how young or how old you are, I can go as hard as I want, I'm not gonna get any head damage. And that's something that also the as young people, you know, girls, smaller individuals, jujitsu is something that not only is going to keep you limber and free flowing like yoga would, Mm -hmm. but it's, and it has the cardiovascular health and endurance as well, but you're also going to learn how to defend yourself. The sport itself was made for the smaller person to win. So it is a great martial arts for that. And You're not taking the
3: punishment. You take essentially what would ordinarily be viewed as a weakness, this is basic jujitsu, and turn it into a strength. 100%. Worth that person's strength against him, Yes, your adversary or your opponent's strength against him. That's classic jujitsu. Sergio Vicente is my guest. We come back, we're going to talk about the attitude of the great fighters, how it could apply to the Democrats uh, who are running against Trump. We'll be right back.
2: (laughs) Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. All right, people, bad news. After five years in Andersonville, Murray and White has made the uh, the difficult decision to close their doors. Oh, sipping on a, some water there. Everything it's delicious. Sto- <laughs> Everything in store is on sale. Notable sale items, all of these things Ben Jarofsky loves. You better get there before he does, all right? He loves this stuff. Everything in the store on sale. Notable sale items like Veluspa and Nest Fragrance Brand Candles. They're 20% uh, I off. love candles. I know. When I think of Ben Jarofsky, I think of candles, all right? Uh, those are twenty percent off. Candle burned out long. Please stop oh, singing. These lines can rarely be found on sale. So while twenty percent isn't the largest discount, lovers of both these popular candle lines like Ben have been buying <laughs> them up. All rugs thirty percent off in store and new orders through June first. Wait, oh. did you say rugs? Rugs. Oh man, hold on. I'm going. Oh, he <laughs> loves rugs. All right, those are uh, those are off. 30 to 50% off. Antique furniture pieces, 40 to 50% off. Pillows, 40% off. Picture frames, 40% off. And jewelry is 40 to 50% off. Mirrors and wall art, 30 to 50% off. Home decor and accessories are all 20 to 60% off. Lamps, 50% off as well. People, there is a lot of stuff on sale at Murray and White. After five years in Andersonville, they have decided to close their doors. Uh, Store fixtures and lighting is also on sale. Head over to Murray and white in andersonville now to get some deals and like i said you better get there before (laughs) ben jarofsky does my god he (laughs) loves candles Uh, welcome back to the ben jarofsky show Uh, ben and jay take us home all right hold on i'm lighting my candle it goes
3: really good with this music Yes, it's very mellow man got my candles Really chilling out. Sergio Vicente is my guest. The Fight Podcast, his name is Podcast. He does jujitsu, boxing, mixed martial arts. He ran back punts. He has a podcast and he plays the piano. Good job on that piano there. <laughs> I got it. I got it. He's got it. All right. <laughs> All right, we got more to talk about. I got to talk about trash talking and politics, uh, how yes. Democrats can learn a thing or two from the fighters of the world. Do you got an update before I go back to Sergio? Uh, no. Just promote the heck out of. The Monday, not now, but check out that Joanna uh, Kalansky. Oh, yeah, yeah. We have a
2: uh, we do things on the weekends now. The Benny J bonus interviews, all right? Every weekend, we're going to try our darndest to provide you a bonus interview for Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Saturday's interview, Ben talked one-on-one with his right-hand man from first Tuesdays at the hideout, 1354 West Wabansia. The one, the only investigative journalist, Mick Dumpke. They talked, I believe, the five issues happening in the city of Chicago. Is that right? Yes. Sir. All right. On Sunday, Ben spoke one on one with uh david ferris uh, author, great interview author of the uh it's time to fight dirty how democrats can win the house back or something like that mm-hmm. but go check that book out ben loves david ferris uh and i think uh they like to talk about nancy pelosi quite bit. ben jarowski <laughs> loves nancy pelosi just as, almost as much as he loves candles <laughs> almost as much it's a fantastic very learned interview with david ferris and on monday because well she's now the mayor Lori lightfoot was inaugurated yesterday and ben talked one-on-one one-on-one with two of the people in the Lori Lightfoot campaign who helped make it happen, political strategist Joanna Klonski and holster jason mcgrath they're both, uh, they love talking like ben said so it made for a great interview find out how Lori went from who to <laughs> oh yeah her in this one-on-one benny
3: j bonus interview all right thank you very much d yes indeed great shows all right sergio uh we have a president of the united states <laughs> who learned a thing or two from uh professional wrestling i think at one point or another he's a wrestling promoter and
2: he's he, in the wwe hall of fame he,
7: I don't be, he is. He actually um, was one of the original investors of the UFC also. Yeah. Okay. So he has learned.
3: I some. love fighting. <laughs> Just, so <laughs> good imitation. Yeah, no, uh, I, and, and, uh, uh, I thought the
7: man was in the room. With me. <laughs> Go look at my building.
3: <laughs> he, a huge uh, wrestling fan. Dennis. Nice, is. Okay, nice. Professional wrestling. All right. Uh, and so he takes the lessons he's learned from the promotional aspect of wrestling uh, and is Put him to very good use in the game of politics, the political arena. Constantly taunting and trash talking on Twitter, it's just straight up uh, WW. Uh, feder- he's
7: a heel. Yes, he one hundred percent. It's not even a heel turn. It's, he's just the heel. He goes out there and he chooses it it almost reminds me of the rock remember the rock used to call everybody a nickname yeah you're this you're that you're this he does the exact same thing and then he continues to repeat it repeat it repeat it over go crazy bernie oh crazy this oh you know pocahontas you know elizabeth warren no man it's that is all he's doing he's sitting there and taking catchphrases repeating things over and over again that I'm sorry to to, to crush him like that, but his base, it's extreme. something simple that they can hold on to. They can repeat it. It, They can remember, make a little slogan and a chant out of it. They love it. It's something, and that's what he does. That's how he gets his followers, his following, his whatever you want to call them. So how should Democrats combat it? Um, Well, this is one thing I'll say. I think Democrats, for instance, like, AOC, you know, Rashida Taleb and and, and people like that. Um, Obviously, you know, Bernie Sanders, people, you need to speak up. The, The conservative party has always punched. They punch down, they punch up no matter where you are. They're going to talk trash. If you're right, if you're wrong, they're going to attack you in the media. They're going to attack you. The corporate Democrats, the Democrats who have tended to be in office, what they end up doing is they'll sit there and, oh, let's, let's, the bipartisanship, let's play game. Let's, let's do this together. Oh, it's okay. You know, we're fine. Mm -hmm. No, we don't need that. That doesn't win. So what does win? Actually, this is what you need to do. First and foremost, they state facts. And that's something that fighters tend to do a lot when they're actually sitting there talking trash to one another. Do a little research, but you state facts. Hey. You lost this event. Hey, I beat up this guy. Something that's something that I can talk about. We can actually use that in politics. Hey, Donald Trump, you're talking about your, how great your, your, your income, your tax policies and everything are? Well, let's look at the rural communities. They're not doing well right now. Talk about it. Highlight those things. If people highlight what's actually going on, then you can combat the nonsense trash talk. And again, punch back it doesn't make sense why why well let's, we gotta get along it's okay yes it is no it's not throw punches back because if i'm sure you've noticed it i'm sure everyone in here has seen it when it happens the moment you punch back aoc does it all the time oh uh, my goodness <laughs> how dare you i do declare yeah. oh my god yeah. why were you talking to me like that yeah then all of a sudden <laughs> I'm supposed to be the snowflake but the moment we say something back they're yeah. the ones that are actually running backwards who's the real snowflake let's yeah. be honest so that's how you combat those type of things and again take the WWE tactics but do it that much more intelligent actually utilize facts utilize figures and then just show them what they're doing hey Don look bro Teflon Don this this is what you've done. Yeah.
3: All right, let me ask you this. So should the Democrats give him a nickname? You know, he, he came at uh, Elizabeth Warren, called her Pocahontas, and uh, was ch- mocking her for uh, claiming that she has. Uh, you call
7: him Corrupt Donald. Call him, you so know, give him, give him a nickname. Corrupt Donald. Um, uh, money Mr. Money Laundering. You know, do those type of things that we're reiterating things that are already happening. Should you make fun of his physical appearance? Should you call that comb over Don or something like that? Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> okay, take unfortunately out of it. Like in yes. wrestling, would they make it, fun of And you over. know what people hold on to? Because I'm going to be honest with you. Do you know what, what, what would make Bernie Sanders, everyone would love Bernie Sanders? If Bernie Sanders got jacked got a little propicia, grew a little bit of this out a little bit more, you know, and, and was sitting there and then grew yeah. out a beard. You, man, people would love Bernie Sanders. He'd be like, he is America's <laughs> guy. He's the, look at him. Yeah. He wants healthcare for all and look how deep he's, he's you know. I he, can't imagine he that, eats, but whatever. Hunts, you know, whatever, but like, that's the type of thing that, that people want to see. People love it. I mean, look at, look at the culture that we're in. Mm-hmm. We love drama. How many you know sister wives shows or whatever are on television mm-hmm. right now? That is a, the type of things that people enjoy. Donald Trump, his base, and unfortunately, a lot of people in, in this country, we gravitate towards drama. We gravitate towards the simplicity of mm-hmm. name cl- calling. We we can we can remember that. That's that's us going back to to middle school. How many of us used to sit at the table as as kids and and just talk trash back and forth amongst one another? Yeah that's something that, that happened. So it, it's it's something that we could all relate to. It is simplistic in nature. That's why we should do it right back. <laughs>
3: all right, now, uh, so hey. <laughs> uh, Donald Trump is very proud of the fact, in his humble opinion, that he put Elizabeth Warren... Wh- I'm
7: going to throw air quotes again <laughs> yeah. Humble. Uh,
3: yeah, humble <laughs> in air quotes, that he put Elizabeth Warren on the uh, defensive. But I've been thinking about this for a while. When he when he uh, slapped her with the nickname Pocahontas, and... Uh, then she responded by having a DNA test, mm-hmm. and that hurt her. It College did clearly hurt her. It did. Uh, when you look back now, it's Monday morning, quarterback. I understand uh, it's after the fact, mm-hmm. and but if you could apply the lessons you've learned from the games that you follow, the fighting that you follow, in your humble opinion, humble, That's of course, uh, what strategy should Elizabeth Warren followed when? How should she responded to the taunts and the nickname of Donald Trump?
7: Facts all facts but one thing Elizabeth Warren does better than I, I believe any other politician right now in uh, in Washington is her policies. She writes incredible policies. Mm-hmm. What she should have focused on, not going out there and having beer with her husband because that looks corny, mm-hmm. not doing other other saying, "Hey, look, I'm 0.2% you know Native American." What she should have said is you could have that But check this out. This is what I'm focusing on. This is what's important. Do you think Americans who are so. When you look at Americans who
3: respond so viscerally to Donald Trump's nicknames, Mm -hmm. the ratings went up for 2016 when the Republicans had their debate. Mainly, Donald Trump uh, was reality TV brought into politics. That's what he is. He's a reality TV host. So, do you think given the fact that he, w- he proved to be so popular mm-hmm. as a political figure, do you think that Americans would respond to facts, to policies? Uh, I may, do you think that or that American, Americans would be a little like Homer Simpson
7: and go, boring? It depends on who's delivering those that message. If you sit there and actually have, find somebody who is engaged, because let's be honest, who's right now engaging, popular, people are following what she's saying, AOC, Mm -hmm. all she's doing is laying out facts and figures, and she's standing up for what she believes is right. And with the more you do that, and you have a snappy comeback or two from time to time, people will follow you. All she's doing, and this is what happens when you actually get not the elite there, you have regular everyday people who actually get elected to government. It almost reminds me of Game of Thrones this week. People are, you know, all bent out of shape, whatever. Actually, you know what? Let me just stop. I was about to give a spoiler. I don't feel like getting beat up on it. Yeah, yeah,
3: uh, yeah. I don't think anybody in this room has seen ever seen a Game of Thrones. Have you ever seen Game of Thrones? Two episodes. Two episodes. Really? I've never
2: seen any episode, dude. I saw one, and it was the final one a few days ago. You watched the final one? <laughs> yeah, oh, like
3: that's like I got a 500-page novel. I'm just gonna read the last two pages.
7: Uh, <laughs> hey, hey, well, I, I, but uh, but yes, that that's how I feel about that one. I mean, I think we need to sit there, be be candid, state facts and figures, but you can have a little snappy comeback or two. All right, let me ask you this:
3: uh, people in the fight game did they tend to be Republican Democrat or do they have no
7: politics it, it depends I mean I, th- I think it's just like America people come from different places people think about and have different values you have it all over the place uh um Dana white who is the mo- most f- upfront figure in the sport right now mm-hmm. he's a staunch Republican he's a fr- a friend of Donald Trump but when you look at the bulk of his athletes they don't feel that way but again it represents america you have some guys who are republicans you have some guys who are democrats some guys who are indifferent Mm
3: -hmm. and Uh, girls uh sergio vicente is his name and uh sergio tell folks a little bit about your podcast before i let you get the out the door
7: absolutely so um i am the host of the fight podcast we're a combat sports and culture podcast um what we do is we go ahead and we break down um all of the major All combat sports events, MMA, boxing, kickboxing, we have interviews with fantastic um, world-class athletes, media personalities, influencers, all involving the sport, coaches as well. I've had some of the best, uh, some of the top kickboxers in the world, some of the biggest MMA prospects in the world all coming on the show, and uh, that is a weekly show that we do. We end up pumping out about four episodes uh, weekly. All
3: right. Very good. And uh, he also follows politics closely, probably bringing back, talk more about uh, how the Democrats can fight tough uh, against Donald Trump. Use some of the tricks of the trade that you've learned over the years uh, in the fight game. All right, Sergio. Sounds good. All right. I want to thank Sergio Vicente very much for coming in. Also want to thank uh, Stephanie Zimmerman.
7: And and really quick, I'm sorry, Um, I'd be remiss to mention Sage Eats. Uh, I I dropped you off a meal um, as well. Um, Sage Eats, We are a healthy meal prep company. Uh, we cook and deliver healthy meals, and we—they're um, they're 100% customizable. We drop directly to our clients' home or office here in the Chicagoland area. All right, very good,
3: man. Man is a renaissance man. He does a lot of different <laughs> Damn things. Damn, looks good. Yeah, he's a dentist ready to eat it. Uh, thanks, Stephanie Zimmerman from the Chicago Sun Times, Atiba Buchanan, and David Seaton, uh, Leah, our, our staff editor, did a magnificent job, and of course. The man, the myth, the legend behind the boards. Oh yeah, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. You know what they call him down in Alton, Sergio? Uh, they call him White Lightning.
2: Yes, hey. <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> no one calls me
3: that. <laughs> the ladies all love him for his body and his mind. Yes, indeed, Dr. D, give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. <laughs>
2: And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows of both Chicago Sun Times and Chicago Reader websites, chicago.suntimes.com forward slash Jarofsky, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you download your favorite podcasts, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. I don't know if we're on Spotify. I got to check that. But hey, go check it out. Find us online and at Benny J Show on both Twitter and Facebook.